When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the VPZD Show. This is episode 21, I believe, and we are back here in Z-Dog Studios. I'm joined by Zubin Amania, my friend and co-conspirator here on this podcast. Z, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you. You stole my chair, dog. Like, this is now, <laughs> this is suddenly the Vinay Prasad show. We've switched seats, and you know, I've been seeing you've been holding back on me. This chair is more comfortable than that chair over there. It's vastly more comfortable. <laughs> it's a total power move to sit in that chair, too. Like, it you is. just feel it. It your, is. Your lighting is such that it's quite, quite dim on your face, but the camera brightens it. Whereas for me, I'm just blasted with light. <laughs> and so all I see is this beatific vision, right? Whereas here you see like, you see me as I am with Snaggletooth and everything. I wanted to be like a scene from The Godfather. I opened the lines behind me. So <laughs> it's good to have you back. Let's tell listeners what we're gonna talk about this this episode. This is a news show. I don't know if you know, this is a medical news show. Purportedly. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna run through a few topics. We've got uh, the yearly shot. COVID-19 is going to a yearly shot. Uh, and uh, obviously based on the highest levels of data. Highest. We're, highest. We're going to get into that. Um, we're going to talk about the difference between law and medicine, um, particularly academic law, academic medicine. We're going to talk about a little Twitter apology for going maskless in a selfie. We're going to talk about the Cal Academy, our favorite topic, the Cal Academy. <laughs> They're obviously the, the forefront of evidence-based policy. And then uh, as people want, demand from us, we have to revisit uh, Roe vs. Wade. You know, that's what they want from two middle-aged men. They want uh, another dive into Roe vs. Wade. So those are the topics we've got. I think that is just scratching the tip of the iceberg, <laughs> man, of what we could, the damage we could do today. Um, it's always fun. You know, the great thing is like, as a show, it's mm -hmm. interesting. I was at a party over the weekend. And this is where I learned oh, this yes. thing about the Cal Academy too, that I thought was interesting. But it was a friend and he's having a 50th birthday and he's a physician at Stanford and had other physicians at Stanford. And mm, at least super two- Super spreader event, I see. It was a, oh yeah. No, but everybody was wearing masks because it was a Stanford event. No, it wasn't. <laughs> they were actually- N95s outdoors. Outdoor N95s of course, at the Obviously, pool. you'd want to do that. That's yeah. right. They That's did make They did make the party fully outdoors. Um, oh, they did? Yeah. So they did do that, mm -hmm. but nobody was wearing masks, which was nice. I think 2030 or 2040 is a good year to go indoors again. I see it more as an asymptote. Oh, yeah, like I we approach indoors, but never quite obtain it. You know, that's a nice way to think about it. It's always the Zeno's paradox of indoors. If you always get halfway to indoors, are you ever going to touch it? Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're lucky we have good weather here in the Bay Area. I mean, that's the thing. You can pull those kind of things off. So if you're going to have a virtue signaling liberal population, the yeah. best place to do it is in a is, temperate region. Is in a temperate region. <laughs> a temperate region of and, course. And, and again, it just shows that politics emerges in, in synchrony with the geography. But yes. yeah, so I was okay, at, go on. So you're at the party. So I was at this part. thing. I was yeah. at this party. And I got to recognize by a few people. Like, oh, man. And, and so there's one very kind of prominent uh, chap in this department uh -huh. said, I listen, I am a super fan. And anytime there's a show I'm listening and anytime it's a VPZD show, I stop everything and I listen. Now, these are people that are at the highest levels of academia. And they said, this is the great, I love listening to you and Vinay because you understand the kind of nuance. You're looking at the data, you're funny. The problem is uh, my kids are in the back. They're like six and 10 or something. And you guys will just drop the unexpected F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I have to, I have to turn to the kids and go, this is not appropriate language. These two are, and, and so that one of the kids was at the thing and he introduces me and the kid just looks at me like I'm the devil because I'm the guy who drops the F-bombs. But people seem to listen to the show. You're not supposed to listen to this in front of your family. I know, what do you think? <laughs> it's not a family what? friendly show. It's a news show. You need to listen to it in the privacy of, uh. Of your own, uh, of your own bedroom, yeah. of your own mind, <laughs> of your own it's, mind. Yeah. It's a hard-hitting news show with two off-white hosts oh. that are both wearing black, black shirts. Yeah. yeah, but I got the NASA representation. See, that's what takes it to the next level. Because we're going to go to Mars once this planet is ruined. No, that's what Elon tells me. No, <laughs> that's I, Elon's yeah, thing. That's yeah. Elon's yeah. Thing. You know yeah. what? Why bother saving this place? Yeah, this place is already. We done. have another yeah, hellhole. Right. Yeah, new place. Yeah, we got to seed it with uh, COVIDian <laughs> politics. But you know, it's interesting. I also get like oncologists come up to me, and I'm like, "Oh, did you listen to the new plenary session? I took a deep dive into Destiny Four Breast, which I'm sure is the thing they want to know about." And they're like, "Nah, man, I'm listening to VPZD." <laughs> I was like, you're not gonna learn any oncology there. <laughs> yeah, where are you gonna? Wait, 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 there's no cancer involved There's in No that. cancer in VPZD. Uh, I did just interview um, Paul Offit just prior to our show today, mm. and just put that episode out. Oh, and it's wow. interesting, you know, he and we share this commonality, which is we're not fans of doing things without data. Yes, and I see. he wrote a, a book called Overtreated about what we do in healthcare. Now, you and I and Rita Redberg and other friends of ours are on this soapbox for years, right? That a lot of stuff we do just doesn't make sense. So he's a, he's a good guy and he's consistent. As you know, I'm at work on a long little secret project where I'm I'm doing a little bit of a history on vaccine science throughout the pandemic. And uh, there are a lot of people who aren't consistent. They're inconsistent. They said one thing back in the day, say a different thing now. But Paul actually is pretty consistent. He's consistent across the board. He always judges things based on evidence. Um, I think I, uh, you know, 90 percent agree with him and 10%, you know, like any two academics oh, yeah, who disagree. Course, yeah. yeah, but um, I always respect him and I know he's coming from a place of at least what he believes and not a place of politics. I don't think he's putting politics first. No. And in fact, one thing we talked about in this episode was that, you know, pre, pre-election, when, when vaccines has still hadn't been released, he and I had did a show where we were like, you know, would you trust a vaccine that was released in the next month or whatever, and knowing that there might be political interference and so on. And he's like, no, for these reasons, what I'd want to see is this and this and this and this and this. And those things happened in time for the uh, approval for adults at that time, right. but it was after the election and there's all kinds of drama there. But there was this concern, like this thing is potentially politicized. Then he said, he's sitting on FDA advisory committee now. And he's like, it almost seems like the the politicians already have the agenda. They want an Omicron specific booster and Borla and those guys are making the policy and they've already decided. And so the the FDA from, from the EUAs before the application material was hundreds of pages that he had to study and it was like mind altering. He's like, it's like this now. It's like a little paragraph and they're like, <laughs> okay, go. And he's like, it almost feels like the same thing. Yes. Like the politics, just a different administration. Well, I think that that's the truth. And one of the points that I'll make eventually uh, at length and try to persuade people, which is that uh, when Trump was president, there were two teams. It's the professor team and the Trump team. And we're on different teams. I mean, that's the reality of yeah. life. Now Biden's president and the professor team and Biden team, we're on the same, same side. Team. It's the same team. And whether people want to deny this or not, I mean, this is the reality of academic politics. It tends to be left, you know, colleges tend to be left and that sort of thing. Um, and I thought it wasn't terrific, you know, back when back when Trump was in charge, but at least there was kind of a dynamic and people were appropriately skeptical and they wanted to be persuaded by data. Now, I think 
that they're on the same team, there's not that back and forth anymore. Everyone's on the same page. And so the places I think it's spilt over into bad decisions. One, this yearly booster, which we're going to talk more about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Paul voted no. uh, And I agree. And I think it's not that no, like I will never take a yearly booster. You run a randomized control trial in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, you know, in the summertime, and you show me that by a, a, you know, uh, a 39-year-old guy getting an extra booster for the new strain will lower his risk of hospitalization, severe disease, or death. I will absolutely take that booster. But if you merely generate antibody titers or don't even do that, I'm going to have a lot of skepticism about the booster and a perpetual booster based on that low level of evidence. So that's my bar. Um, And I think that would have been different if Trump were the person saying you need a yearly booster. And by the way, my buddy Albert and I have talked about this and you need it. I think the Academy would have said, whoa, where's the randomized control trial data measuring clinical endpoints that matter? And I think the other place that happened is the kids that – had Trump been out there with a kid's vaccine based on non-inferior geometric mean antibody titers, uh, I think that the liberal university professor types, uh, of which I am actually included, <laughs> I think uh, we, they would have all been on the outside of like, well, let's power these trials for severe disease. By the way, Jonas Salk did it in his polio study. So I think it's because we're on the same team now, or you know, many people think of it that way, that they've turned off their EBM, critical thinking, evidence-based medicine hat. I think that's so. So, what that points us is the central theme of this show, I think, which is we have divided as a people into teams, and the science, the science the divides science. into the same teams. Whereas it's it, it, it's the rare people who can actually look at it more objectively and go, "Hey, regardless of team," and and then because because they run a risk, <clears throat> they run a risk of being branded as playing on the other team, mm-hmm. even though. They're just looking at data, looking at evidence. And haven't we all to some degree gotten it? I mean, yep. I, I've seen a lot of my haters are like, you know, he's a right wing. Yes. And I was like, like all right wing people. Here's how I here's how I played it. For years, I pretended to be a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote two books basically outlying the, the benefits of a progressive regulatory state, all waiting for someday a virus to naturally spill in a Wuhan mark. I mean <laughs> – to pounce and be a secret. No, come on. I mean, yes, I think Paul is uh, principled. Uh, you know, you and I, principled. Um, and many other people, principled. And principled people sometimes end up against, you know, quote unquote, their team. And I think the problem with academic medicine is that people are not principled. We're not trained in being principled. We're not, I mean, medicine is not taught as a principled thing. It's taught as a this is how I do it, apprenticeship, you know, have sort of a loyalty thing. It's a loyalty thing. It's a loyalty thing. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, loyalty versus sort of betrayal is a is a powerful one of the moral matrix flavors that people have. And typically, classically, that flavor is more powerful in conservative thinkers, according to John Haidt. Mm-hmm. What we've seen during the pandemic is that has almost flipped where both are now that way. So if you violate that, like, well, you're disloyal to the dogma of whatever that group is, you might as well be excommunicated. And it's funny, so so the, the hallmarks of this, of this are getting fan mail from people that normally you would be like, this person and I have nothing to do with each other and I disagree on 99.9% of what this person believes. And so Paul was saying he's getting fan mail from anti-vaxxers. Oh, he Paul is. <laughs> off it. Because, because he dared to say, show me good data that an Omicron specific booster will help <laughs> reduce severe disease. And there's none. 
So now one interesting thing that he that he wow. conveyed. Yes. Because remember, there was a lot of controversy about even the third dose, right? We were like, yes. do you even and and so Paul and I have and had, there still is, and there I think still is. At least for younger ages. Exactly yes, right. Okay, yeah. Exactly right. So Paul and I had, had had this out, and what he said was, yes, exactly. Like he was very skeptical about boosters for anyone for a long period of time until mm-hmm. he was shown uh, reasonable evidence that for elders, people with multiple chronic diseases, that it's almost a three-dose vaccine. For, for the severe disease component right. in those folks. For everybody else, there's no evidence that that's the case yet. And so you have to think about it as different populations. Like it's a three-dose vaccine for the elders and it's a two-dose vaccine for everyone else. And this four-dose thing is even like, that's another just top off the neutralizing antibodies. It has nothing to do with severe disease. And, and it made me think, because we were thinking like, what's gonna happen this fall when Omicron or whatever's there then surges again? Already we're seeing, well, hospitalizations rise just very, very little, deaths hardly rise at all. And you got a ton of cases and a lot of undiagnosed cases. We may be reaching that stability of population immunity. But one thing that happens is with elders, all it takes is to get, so this is why even the data is confusing. Like what does a severe disease mean in an elder? Right. If you get a cold and you have multiple comorbidities and you're 80, you know, like my dad, this happened to my dad. He had, you know, COPD, he's got heart, uh, uh, diastolic heart failure from AFib. He's got, um, the COPD is from uh, pollution growing up in India, then growing up in the Central mm-hmm. Valley, and he has restricted lung disease. He was admitted for those things early in the year, goes to a nursing home afterwards, gets COVID in the nursing home. I diagnose him because I'm mm-hmm. there. I see him and I'm like, dude, you look like crap. Mm-hmm. They test him, he's positive. So then he gets admitted. But really what had happened was that any viral infection, because he's had three doses, all right? Any viral infection would have knocked him into disequilibrium. Sure. And would have thrown him there. So we're, but we're, we're privileging uh, COVID because it's in our face and it's all we talk about. So how would we think about, should he have gotten a fourth dose? Would that have changed it? Well, maybe yeah. his neutralizing antibodies might've prevented the infection, but doubtful because it's- Doubtful. So, you know, this is how you have to look at it. You know, and I think that we have to be very clear, which is that many things about the vaccines, we have a randomized control trial evidence showing, and I, you know, uh, you've had a sneak preview of what I'm working on, but yeah. I mean, I think that was certainly the it's case epic. in the beginning. Yeah. yeah I'll get, I'll get, I'll get. Oh, it's <laughs> can't be, wait, can't yeah, wait. Oh yeah, oh you yeah. Know, sometimes you take the greatest pleasure in the craft, putting it together. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, we certainly had evidence in the beginning that uh, in the Pfizer and Moderna studies that adults had not only reduction in symptomatic SARS-CoV-2, which was the primary endpoint of the study, um, but that they also had uh, a rather persuasive reduction in severe disease. Moderna, there were 30 cases in one death and they were all on the control arm, not on the experimental arm. Now, when you started to get into third and fourth dose, when people say like, what is the evidence that the third dose has an additional reduction in hospitalization? Unfortunately, we don't have any randomized data that supports that. So what you are inherently limited by is observational data. And observational data is looking at people based on what they chose to do. And there's gonna be a big bias there. And that bias is that the people who run out and get booster after booster and Paxlovid after Paxlovid um, and, uh, 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 you know, caviar and champagne after champagne, you know, you know <laughs> but these are people who are rich, well-educated. Yep. Um, and a lot of the data comes from Israel. They're much more likely to be uh, um, uh, not Arab uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're much more mm-hmm. like the higher socioeconomic status. Um, and, and so then you get into the confounding issue. And so if you put a gun to my head and you said, you know, do I believe that an 80 year old has an additional hospitalization reduction from that third dose? I would say I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why? Because I think the magnitude of effect is so strong and it's so consistent. Even the observational data is enough to yeah, I at mean, least but nudge you, nudge yeah. me. Right. Yeah. I mean, a gun to my head, I have to choose. Right. So right. I, I'm betting. Right. Um, uh, but you know, I can't, but you know, do I have certainty about that? No, I don't have certainty, but right. you know, I think that's fair. But if you ask me what's the age where it tips, 
What's the number of Commodore <laughs> tips? Right. Then I'd say, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Without dude. the data, you can't stratify it. You don't know. Yeah, you can't stratify it. You yeah. don't know. And then similarly, let's talk about the kids five to 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, because severe disease, MISC, and death are so infrequent in that ages, yeah. even observational data has limitations because you often cannot even use observational data to find those signals. Yeah. Um, and so what people typically do with very, very rare events, and they're trying to figure out causality, um, is they use a case control design. So what that means is you first start and you say, let me just take all the kids who are hospitalized with COVID-19. You can identify them clearly and the, you can make a pile of the, you know, a, a data pile. And then let me find a control. And what they do for controls is let me take a kid who's hospitalized for something other than COVID-19. Other than COVID, right. Okay. And then let me look at antecedent vaccination. So of the kids who were hospitalized with COVID-19, what percent had gotten vaccinated before they came in? And of the kids hospitalized for some other reason, what percent of them got vaccinated? And this allows you to draw an inference about the odds ratio of vaccination based on whether or not your hospital is COVID-19 or not, which is sort of an, uh, a sort of a crude sort of metric of like, what's the relative risk reduction? You know, at very rare events, odds ratios and relative risk reductions kind of approximate each other to some degree. Um, you know, and so this is sort of a sort of a classic epidemiologic study design to ascertain whether or not exposures lead to rare outcomes in this case, hospitalization and death, because it's very rare in kids. It's rare in kids, yeah. Very rare in kids. Now, there's one problem, which is that it really hinges on whether the controls are picked fairly. And in this example I've given you, kids hospitalized with COVID-19, some of them may have comorbidities, but some may be that unfortunate, rare, healthy kid that's hospitalized. Kids hospitalized for something other than COVID-19. Now, these aren't just these average aren't run-of-the-mill people. not run-of-the-mill yeah. people. They're probably enriched with kids who have underlying medical problems, such that doctors were pretty worried about them. That like, you, you kind of can, of all the, if you go we to know, We know these kids. You know yeah, these kids. Yeah, I mean, if you kids, walk yeah. around to the hospital wards, there are gonna be many kids hospitalized who people would have seen it coming because yeah. they have underlying problems. Exactly. Now, when you look at antecedent vaccination, the kids who have been hospitalized for a different reason, the doctors would have been very worried about them and they would be the first kids and the first people who are getting vaccinated yeah. in high numbers. Yeah. So now you get these odds ratios reported out of these studies showing that quote unquote vaccination also protects severe disease in five to 11 year olds. But I don't know if it's the vaccination that protects severe disease or if the correct interpretation of the data is that kids hospitalized for a reason, not COVID-19, mm. were far more likely to get the concern of parents and doctors, and they were far more likely to have received a vaccination, even if that's not actually the thing that's keeping them out of the unit, you know? So back to the question. If the mm. question is, healthy five-year-old in front of me, mm -hmm. gun to my head, do I know that that vaccine prevents that or lowers their chances of being hospitalized, severe disease, MISC, death? The answer is, I just don't know. And it's right. such a rare event that, you know, if I were betting, I'd bet the magnitude of effect is going to be super low because we're talking about a Wuhan vaccine and we've got an Omicron strain. That's right. So, you know, and then you add in the fact if they've had natural immunity, then I think the probability is even, you know, order of magnitude lower and it's already low. And so put that all together. I think, you know, this is the place where Paul and I may maybe, well push. A, I mean, but yeah. he, probably, he probably will agree with everything I'm saying. He, he, yeah. he just has a different interpretation. That's exactly right. So what Paul, I actually kind of went over this with him, even off camera a little bit. And what he would say is, then remember his frame of view, his worldview is based on sick kids at Children's Hospital in right. Philadelphia. He's seen the cases. He's seen the cases and he's seen cases in kids that maybe didn't even have risk factors and they got COVID pneumonia and they're struggling on a ventilator. So what his 
feeling is, is looking at this, this, and again, we don't have perfect safety data either. And he'll always say, you know, Morris Hilleman is idle. The vaccine producer says, I don't breathe a sigh of relief until we have 3 million shots in arms, you know, mm. even after you've done the studies. And he said, he'll say, well, with COVID vaccines, we have billions of shots, but not necessarily in, in this age kids, yes. in this less than five. So his take on the, on that <clears throat> population is if the, if, if they are truly safer even than the say 12 to 17 year old myocarditis risk. And so far in five to 11, it looks it that way. Looks that way. Yeah. And in less than five, again, smaller numbers, but it looks very, that way so very far. Much, but yeah. it looks that way. What he would say is you would never mandate it That's because good. again, there's no, commu- what's the community benefit, but you would give it as an option. And, and he personally would tell his kids that they could, they should go ahead and get their grandkids vaccinated because even if it reduces a very small risk, the risk of the vaccine is even smaller. It's worth doing for that reason. So that was his rationale on that. Hmm. Yeah. I guess I would say I'd love to talk to him about it more. But yeah, I mean, and, he, and he'll come on our show. Okay. Yeah, in it. person to talk about overtreatment and other stuff too Ooh, in the future. At least in he person. promised. Me. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, but he's got to be on the West Coast. Yeah. Okay, that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that um, that uh, that's a reasonable standpoint. I mean, the part that I'll say is reasonable is the fact he's conceded that nobody ought to mandate it. Right. And the problem I have is, of course, these Looney Tunes. You know. <laughs> and I, I mean, there's some people that are so tribal mm-hmm. and, you know, their brain don't work and they're so like black and white thinking that they're going to mandate it, whether we like it or not. And so one of the, the points of making something available is, unfortunately, you have actually, whether you like it or not, mandated in a tiny group of people, you know, right. in some preschools, et cetera. Right. And then the, the only thing I would push back on him on is that, you know, I guess um, – very rare, but some kids are, you know, have fevers for a day or two, which we think is quote unquote mild. Oh, right, but if right. you really get the, t- if you really get the scales yeah, out yeah, 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 and you yeah. start to m- m- balance those yeah. even very mild things against like what happens when you yeah. get COVID in these kids, it's also very, very mild. You know, I really, uh, you know I really what? don't that, know. That, I really that, don't know. That filter that yeah. you're implying is the, is the Vinay Prasad, Zubin Damania, Rita Redberg show filter, mm. which is, it's almost like a screening test. Well, what's the harm you can do? I mean, you know, the harms of relatively low, you might pick up a few things here and there, but what is the downside? Are we really measuring these subtle downsides of missing a couple days of school due to fever or whatever it is? And what's that effect on them? And if we had a perfect supercomputer to measure the area under the curve of harm and gain, right. what would we what would we do? And, and, and honestly, if we had such a computer, we could measure morality. We could say, well, what what, what reduces yeah. the most suffering for the most uh, humans at any given decision? And then you could make a evidence-based morality. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I think that we could have had a better balance if they just run a goddamn bigger yeah, study. Yeah, you know, yeah. then you have a better and, sense of it. And Paul, yeah, and Paul, Paul, yeah. Paul, Paul, I asked him about that and he said, you know, it actually is kind of difficult. And again, I know your answer to this. It is difficult to get a big randomized control trial uh-huh. within a lot of kids. But of course your response would be, my response but would be that- They got tons of money. They got tons of money. They got 100 <laughs> yeah. billion reasons to right. do it. And then also I think that um, you're gonna get a fast enrollment if people, because people are, there's like, whether we, you know, there's 80% of people that are not gonna do it. You know, yeah. that's the reality. And yeah. then there's 20% of people who really want it. And of that yeah. 20%, maybe 5% really, really wanna do it. You yeah. know, they're the ones that are like, you know, camped out yep. for the spot. Hoping they don't get the placebo. Yeah. yeah. And I think that they would have probably put, yeah. done it. And, you know, there are ways to increase randomization and stuff like that. And, and we know, and Paul Paul agreed that like, there's probably a, a, a minority of parents who are so anxious about this that they're gonna vaccinate, even if the safety data was a little bit more conflicted. They right. just really, they're so scared of COVID 
COVID. And he said, that's what you see. You see immediate uptake. And then it just, that's what we saw in five yeah. to 11. Yeah. And, just and it's going to be even worse in five. I in, think it's going to be worse. To yeah. Five to 11, it's like peaked at 33 and it's going to be twenties. I think. I asked him about, I said, well, so what do you think about these, you know, booster mandates at colleges for kids? And he's like, it's, it's difficult to watch. It's even difficult to watch them doing this because it makes no sense. And he said his own son, you know, had to, or son-in-law who's about, his daughter is engaged, uh, they're gonna get married. And he's got Cornell student and they're mandating like he's had COVID, he's had, it's like, come on. Well, I think that's the problem, which is that, you know, there's, it's so tribal yeah. and these people's brains don't work. And I don't know who they're even appeasing. It's like, you know, obviously yeah. there are two reasons. I mean, the reason to mandate a medical intervention is never that you benefit the person receiving it. Right. I mean, if that were the case, then I can come to your house and make you take blood pressure pills right. and I can throw away all the red stop meat in your smoking. fridge and stop yeah. smoking and throw away the beer and, mm -hmm. you know, and control you. But we allow people to make, you know, health choices that are not in their health. The reason to mandate a medical intervention is if I believe that there's so much benefit to third parties that it overwhelms your personal autonomy. Right. And I think in the first part of COVID-19 pandemic, like when the vaccine first came out, that case wasn't there mm. because I knew that if you, Z-Dog, were worried, it doesn't matter if I'm vaccinated. If you get vaccinated, your reduction in severe disease death is so profound mm. that you that it like you don't need me to be vaccinated right. to help you out. And in fact, some people did some modeling to say that, you know, the amount of people we have to exclude is thousands and thousands of vaccines to even change your odds slightly. Right. You know, so I think you didn't have the case there because you didn't need me to do it. And then now I think you certainly don't have the case because even if I do it, you can still I can still spread. Right. And that happened, I think, you know, in the fall of 2021 when we had total vaccine escape, not total, but near total vaccine escape. And so in both cases, I think that the ethical prerequisite for mandates wasn't there. Yeah, it's interesting. So there's a couple of follow-ups I yes. wanna ask you. Well, the first thing is a point that Paul made. He said, what changed his sort of looking at the elder uh, booster threshold yes. was Omicron because Omicron was reinfecting people who older had been people. vaccinated at a high rate. And so it was pushing them into severe, whatever decompensation. Yeah. So that was interesting. That's what kind of made him think, okay, older's for sure. But but the second thing is then where does that autonomy versus community benefit mandate issue, where does that come into play in to say a seatbelt law that mandates an individual decision for an individual benefit? I mean, I imagine there's some community benefit not filling up a trauma ward, okay. with, but how, how does it play out there? I guess I would say, I mean, a few differences I would say. So one, I would say that um, it is, uh, seatbelt is sort of a public safety intervention, but it's not a in, uh, medical intervention. It's not injected into you or consumed by you. It's not like done into your body. Right. That's one. Two, um, although quote unquote mandated, the enforcement of the mandate is very, very lax. And it's actually, I mean, if you didn't buckle up right now, just ongoing, I don't know how long you'll go before anyone even catches you. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. how long would you go? Realistic, yeah. you could- So you got a, a, a ticket for something else. Yeah, and yeah. then even then when they pull you over, you can buckle up while he's coming Absolutely. to the car. You right. know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Unless you're black, in which case you'll get shot going for the yeah, well, Of course, yeah. well, you <laughs> might even be shot already. Unfortunately, these yeah. cops are terrible. I mean, they- <laughs> Well, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, that's a whole nother it's discussion. A whole nother, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that- It's I not, mean, is, is clear, but yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. I think two things are true. One, they are uh, like for normal encounters, they're so aggressive. Yeah, yeah. They're so yeah. aggressive, but also- you know, when that school was getting shot up, they sat in the hallway for a fucking that hour. Was, that was in fucking cowards. Yeah, I know. Yeah, cowards. Cowards. Yeah. Fucking cowards. Inexcusable and unforgivable. Unforgivable. Yeah. Unfor oh, yeah. Don't get me started. It's fucking. Oh, yeah, that's a whole. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. See, now you're pissing off okay, the kids in the back seat with your f bombs. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Told you it's not a kids show. Okay, then back to the seatbelt. So yeah. one, I think the penalty isn't that draconian. Two, I think it's not a medical intervention in the uh, canonical sense of the word. And then three, I think the other difference is that, uh, and I have a fourth reason. The third reason is actually that the the that from introduction 
two mandates, I mean, it was a sort of a longer time. And the real victory wasn't the legal mandate. It was sort of the changing culture around seatbelts mm. um, such that, you know, I kind of feel naked if I naked don't have my seatbelt. Yeah, it feel, I feel a little weird in the seat without that seatbelt on. In, in fact, it got to the point where it, the system itself codified it because cars are designed to actually not even let you rest if that seatbelt isn't clicked. Bing, It'll just bing. constantly bing. Or some, some, some yeah. And then sometimes alarm. you have some bag on the passenger seat and oh, it thinks a seat person's supposed to be sitting there. Bing, bing. I'm like, shut yeah. up. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Uh, and then the fourth, fourth reason is that, um, you know, and this is true for other vaccine mandates, which is that um, uh, we didn't, we didn't mandate somebody who has recovered from the measles, get the measles shot the next week or they get thrown out of school. Right. You know, and so, you know, mandates have often had carve outs for people who could prove that they hadn't recovered from disease. Right. And then also they were debuted over such a long period of time that many of those people who had had measles as kids, had, you know, they weren't the subject of the mandate. Right. This is, I think, the first time we've had mandates where you're talking about maybe 50, 70, 80, 100 million people mandated to do something yeah. that they've already had, you know, yeah. and you really yeah. don't have great data that, in that space. That's I think those are the key differences. Yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a very, it's not that gray. Let's this get, seems yeah. pretty black and white. Yeah. Okay, but let's do the flip side of the coin, which yeah. I think is interesting to talk about, which is that sometimes somebody somebody was telling me that like, you know, they're like, you didn't believe that you needed that third shot. Right, you, right. You know, and I've said right. that I didn't believe that, but right. I like, I mean, I still, I'm still yet to be persuaded that that was in my best interest. Right. And oh, then, for you. Yeah, for me. Oh, absolutely. And then they're like, yeah. well, why didn't you just decline it? And then I was like, uh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. like, well, it was mandated by the job. Yeah. And so- I would lose my job. Yeah, and then they're like, um, so, you know, other people have done that. And then I was like, well, that's also not smart. You know, yeah. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry to say, like, yeah. I was like, well, you know- You've then, worked how many years to get the position you're in? Correct. They're and, not easy to get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like, and then, they're like, and then I'm like, well, yes, I agree. This mandate was stupid and the, yeah. they should never have implemented it. And it will have unintended consequences, like- politically yep. against public health yep. and it's actually not going to provide a benefit to other people because I can still spread just like I could after two I can spread after three and I'm actually not and you can't mandate just to make me a little bit better off and also you've not persuaded me that you have yeah. okay terrible idea but if the choice is lose my job or take the shot I'm going to take the shot because I'm not a wimp and I can just uh, swallow some Advil and yeah. lay in bed for you know a few hours or a day and I'm back on my feet right. and uh, live to fight another day right. and then I'm like and also like to be a doctor uh, how many things do you think you did oh. you didn't want to do oh to be a God. doctor Every single rectal exam. <laughs> uh, Pre-med requirements. Oh, yeah. Lab, you worked in that fruit fly lab. The oh, flies yeah. were buzzing. You're Lord of the Flies. I learned, I learned to love those flies, though, I got to say. You know, in case the ghost of my PI is watching, he uh, he changed my mind about about research. You you learned uh, uh, the red eyes, the blue eyes, the white eyes. Yep, white, they, eyes the white eyes, variegated eyes, varig oh, blistered wings, the whole nine. Okay, so we yep. did all that <laughs> bullshit, and then yep. you go to medical school to memorize all the. Oh, how many bow? How many ligaments are there in my hand? Oh yeah, you remember uh, all those? Pi. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, they're all. You memorize all that? The brachial plexus, of course. Uh huh. How many? Uh, you took step one. Did you really want to do that? Oh, totally. You yeah, loved it. you just ate it right up. up at the top of the mic. Uh huh. And then uh, all those. Uh, oh, third year med medical student on a service and you have to take call. Oh, that that's the best. Br br breast, right? Nothing totally. like ob gyn call at, at San Francisco General. As a third year, medical, a third -year student, medical student. Totally useless. Up all 24 hours, but doing nothing except for being scared. You're watching an episode <laughs> of Chicago Med, except it's gone for 24 fucking hours <laughs> and nothing's happening. <laughs> nothing's nothing's happening. Yeah, you're just sitting there. You're like, which of these vending machines actually dispenses <laughs> eatable food? Yeah, so oh, you did that and then you take, and then you go to residency and you do all this stuff and then occupational health and they're PPDing you until your arm is black and blue. And by the way, I actually published a paper a few years ago about how like that most of that is unnecessary. Oh, PPD is um, a total scam. Total scam. Yeah. And then, and then I did you, a video on that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the point is that, look, this is a profession that many of these things should be reformed. I agree. Yeah. 
they're not yet reformed yet, and they shouldn't have mandated that I, a 39-year-old healthy person, get a booster. They shouldn't have done that as contingent of my job. But if the choice actually comes down to that moment where you have to choose and you're not going to be able to change the law fast enough, then the answer is simple. Suck it up. Suck it up. <laughs> suck, it suck, up. It up. Just suck it up. Just like you sucked up all the other things. That, that's a great point. Now, I, I'm going to push back in this way. Okay. Is it because we've been conditioned in that way the, that you describe that we're unable to stand up for what we believe in because we're so used to just doing shit that compromises our values? It's a good question, but yeah. I mean, I think standing up- By the for way, what, I'm with you. No, 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 but I would have done the standing same. up for what you thing. believe in, yeah. yeah, okay, it can mean different things. Yeah. One thing it could mean is that I martyr myself over a booster. <laughs> You know, right? And then he, and then I'd be like, then you'll be like, oh, you've gained weight, you're depressed, you're yeah. like laying in bed all day. Oh, I have no job, and no one will hire me because I'm anti, you know, because right. I, I have no health insurance. I have no health insurance. So and, I and, I like, and then I was like, I was only retrospective observation. You know, okay, that's one way to like, you know, uh, push back. But the other way to push back is to like do what we're doing, which is actually try to persuade millions. And by the way, this show is millions of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's try to persuade, you know, millions of people that we are right and that they should rethink the policies. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, fighting the system means different things. Like, look, look, if I took the shot and I kept my mouth shut about or even worse, if I took the shot and then I, you know, in contra in contradiction to my own convictions, started proselytizing about it, then I couldn't look myself in the mirror. But, you know, I took the shot, lived to fight another day and um and, uh, and try to persuade people the policy is bad. Yeah, exactly right. You still have a platform as a practicing physician. Platform. <laughs> Why'd you platform, MZ? <laughs> Dude, I'm still getting complaints. Why are you platforming, platforming. Marty and Vinay? It's platforming. like, is that even a verb? Dude, look at this. My daughter, as we're talking, I was wondering, you see pops, it. I'm gonna make a pizza. So how do we, how do I set the toaster? This is my 14 year old. Toaster and I got to tell her this on our show. You, you t Read the directions. Comma, 450 degrees, use the pizza pan. Pizza pan or pizza stone? No, pizza stone versus pizza pan. Yeah, let's talk about okay. this. Let's get into the pizzas. Let's I've get into that real of, quick. And, and the temperature also. Very key. Okay, All right, so we it. have a Breville uh, toaster convection oven, which is like the it, fancy- It has a flame in the back, doesn't it? Uh, uh, no, no, this no, one no. doesn't. Oh, this okay, one doesn't. Okay. Now, those those are pizza ovens, dude. Oh, okay, those are okay. great. So I don't have a pizza oven. Oh, because this I'm is not a Breville toaster oven. Okay, Breville toaster oven, but You can make anything in this toaster oven. Yes, but it's big. It's it's like quite big. It's like the bigger version. So I get a, it's on Amazon. It's an aluminum pizza pan. It's just an aluminum round circular dish. And what you do is you put it in there at one of the lower rack settings and you turn it to pizza setting, hit 450, which is the pretty much the hottest it goes short of broil and heat up that pan until it's just like, it's glowing hot. Then you throw what you, here in the Bay, they have these, um, you can get them like, I forget it's DiPopolo or somewhere. So it's like a real pizza place that flash freezes their mm. little wood fired pizza. So they're already baked, but you gotta, then they flash freeze them and then you heat it. And the, the thing about that pan is it'll crisp up the crust. And then the pizza setting applies heat from just one direction. So it cooks perfectly. I see. It takes about eight minutes and it's ready to go. Well, you know, the the, the home pizza is really undergoing a renaissance, I see. Because <laughs> they make all these like sort of portable gas fire yes. stoves. Yeah, yes. and I see people with those and I see many YouTube videos on how to make a perfect pizza. I have a fan named Josh who has emailed me his picture of his and he goes, I have a feeling in my heart, Z that this pizza oven has your name on it. And I'll tell you all the reasons. And I was like, you know, it's like, well, it was like a thousand bucks or something. And I'm like, I don't know if I can justify that, man. That's um, that's pretty bougie. There's also a restaurant train around here that the bake your own pizza. Oh yeah. Not not the Papa John's. Not the Papa John's. Right, Yeah, but a better one. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I'm like, <laughs> and you know, well, I guess I, I must admit that um, 
I haven't embraced the home baking pizza revolution. I just like to buy the pizza baked. You know what? There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, what is interesting is so my 14-year-old can pull this thing out. It's a pretty healthy pizza because it's just margarita. So just a little mozzarella and the and the thing and it, it just tastes really good. No, I can imagine. Yeah. Anyway, so what were we talking about? Well, I think we've beaten to death. I mean, how much more Mandy Booster? Blah, no, blah, no, blah, blah. No, Sick no, of it. No. Enough. Yeah. I think we have to make a vow that um, <laughs> we can we can only talk about it when we get another one. Repeat yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When the next booster comes, the next, the next mandated, mandated booster. booster. Right, right. I'm going to beat the horse to death. And it goes but again, I mean, yeah, with the theme of the show, which is this tribal lack of clarity. It's lack of clarity. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that most people, they haven't really thought through, like, I don't know. I think people need to try to draw like what is that what okay if you believe it ought to be mandated and it, it proviso it doesn't halt transmission then tell me what's the limiting principle that prevents you from mandating me take chlorothaladone if I have hypertension right exactly because, right and, uh, yeah that's it and I think Paul now largely agrees in this current state you know yeah. yeah and then and then before I mean I think that the problem they faced is. Prove to me that mandating me do it benefited you when it already had such a huge reduction for the ancestral strain. Right, and BA five is like hyper contagious, even compared to Omicron. It's like you keep saying everybody. I mean, whether but the thing is, again, what I care about is in the population. What is the severe disease? You know, there are a lot of people telling a news story about how what will happen in the future will be. Have you seen this? The oh. future with COVID. Oh, I've heard something about and this. And it's like, Please. if we allow ourselves to get reinfected over yes. and over. Oh, we're going to get worse, unhealthy, long yeah. COVID, all yeah, this Yeah, we're going to get weaker yes. and weaker until yes. finally our organs liquefy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what is really interesting? These people, the long, the long, remember, here's my question. Okay. It is obviously the case that if you are so sick, you go on the ventilator yeah. or you, you know, you're hospitalized and your O2 sats drop, I can totally get you're going to have a prolonged convalescence. Yeah. It's always been the case. Yeah. Quote, unquote, post-hospital syndrome. You know, that's always been the case. Yes. But I have never in a thousand years of medical literature, there's no report of anyone who had a, a very mild URI and then later – Permanent neurological, yeah. you know. They're, they're basically Stephen Hawking in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> or no. Even or even yeah. Right. Well, you know what? What you were saying about this, like re repeated infections, make you weaker and weaker until your organs liquefy. Liquefy. Yeah. That comes right out of Jonathan Haidt's book, *The Coddling of the American Mind*. One of the three great untruths of our modern fragile mindset, which is oh, that which does not kill you makes, makes you weaker. weaker. Yeah. And th it's being applied here. It's almost like a kind of cognitive distortion. Like if something bad happens to you, you inevitably are going to get weaker from it. But what if, yeah. <laughs> what if exposures, repeated exposures are what your immune system has evolved to manage and it actually gets stronger from it and you're fine? Like how many doctors do you know just go around calling in sick every week because they're, they're exposed to all these viruses? No way. And also, yeah, like even our own, Lived experiences, yeah. you know, even that it would tell you that, like, haven't we all had a peer, a stretch in our lives where six months it felt like you were just getting blasted yep. cold and cold and cold? And yep. I'm like, oh my god, another cold, never getting up. I yeah. felt like for one month in my life, maybe five, six years ago, I had a sore throat for one month, yeah, you know, I was like, what's going on? But then finally, after a little bit of sleep and maybe a little less beer, <laughs> and then finally it cleared up, and lo and behold, I didn't have liquefactive organs afterwards. I actually improved my cardiovascular ability and hit, you know, hit the gym hard, and you know, anyway, okay, enough of that. I'm sick of COVID. Okay, I was listening to a new podcast, um, 
And uh, I'm going to try to connect it to medicine. I'll see what will pick your brain. Okay. It's called America's Constitution. You know me. I really love listening to Supreme Court Law Podcasts. You know? It's just your thing. It's, my, it's, it's like a fetish. Uh, it is, like, do, you, yeah. do, you ever, do you ever download Supreme Court porn? <laughs> <laughs> or, or wear the, the black robes. <laughs> you wear the robes. And there's gavels involved. <laughs> Legal aids. Wear, wear the robes. Uh, and... I'm a, the intern coming to fix the cable. <laughs> You've never been over, but you, there'd be a bench up there. <laughs> No, anyway, I just really like that. I don't know why I find it so interesting. I guess I think, you know, obviously Supreme Court decisions have tremendous implications. We're going to talk about one at the yep, end. Yep, yep. Um, the overruling of Roe versus Wade. Um, we have huge implications for our lives. I guess I'm kind of, and you know, somebody should write to us and tell me the answer to this question. Here's my question. You know, I really wonder, like, um, in medicine, there's an objective reality that we always are ultimately, that's the ultimate arbiter. Like, you know, you guys can argue all you want about boosters or chlorthalidone or statins. But if somebody runs a 500,000 person randomized trial and there's a benefit, that's the answer. That's yep. the answer, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but in the law, there's no such thing. There's no appeal to a gold standard. So I wonder, it's like, is the law... You know what? What does the law held against? Like good law, does that mean society functions optimally? Mm. Good law, does that mean you follow principles that, even though society functions sort of suboptimally from a utilitarian standpoint, it's still good law because it's internally consistent? What mm. does it actually? You know, what does what is the ultimate root good of the law? Anyway, I don't know the answer. I That's a great philosophical it. question. Yeah. It gets back to that point I made earlier. If we had a perfect computer that could measure oh, all yes. the ramifications ethically of things in terms of human suffering. Well then, so then you gotta ask the question, like what would that computer spit out for overturning Roe v. Wade? Like, because you have to measure all the suffering of the women who can't get abortions and don't have control over the body over the potential suffering, if you believe it, of a fetus. Okay, yes. Yeah. And then like, and then, okay, that's the first order. Then the second order is like, um, but um, uh, overruling that decision will change um, people's, how animated they are to vote. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, does that lead to administrations that using that power of the animated voter mm. can do more good for society? Or alternatively, mm. by overruling it, does it lead to uh, a competition at the state house to try to, for both sides, trying to fight for their vision of what they believe is right, such that uh, health actually declines because some places win this? And also that, you know, that a state may pass a law restrictive of abortion and part and and alongside that may have a political contingency that also strips Medicaid, you know, whatever. I don't know. They, they may right. erode other sort of health sort of insurance things that they may believe is sort of a consistent philosophy. I don't know. I, you know, hypothetically. So the computer would have to think about all those second order and third order effects, et cetera. The computer, would, the computer would just blow up and steam, blow would, up. steam would come out it of it. It would blow up. And I think, I think maybe that gets to if you actually poll Americans, like not a whole bunch of Americans are like, yo, I want abortion. But a whole bunch of Americans, like 60%, did not want Roe v. Wade overturned. So they may be looking purely at those practical issues and they're less interested in the moral issues, which I actually think we were talking about this off camera. There's, we're so tribalized now that whichever side wants to see the other side hurt. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. They want to see the other side hurt. And so Roe v. Wade is a great example. I think there's a lot of maybe conservatives that, that they, don't, they don't feel that strongly about abortion, but it's part of the ideological checklist of the right, abortion bad. Okay, well, now what they really love is watching the left squirm 
when conservative justices <laughs> overturn. What's it called? Like get the libs to cry or what is it? Oh, it's a owning the libs. Own the libs. Own the libs. Yes, own, the libs. own the libs. Own the libs. Now, own so, the libs. So that's yeah. the right side of that. But the left side has been doing it for a, a whole pandemic. I see. Right? Yes. Oh, did you hear about the the righty nutwing who didn't want vaccines and now he's dead? And then and they get like, their yeah. little TikTok video and it's like, it's like a story of like tweet number one, you know, I'm taking my ivermectin or tweet number two, I don't believe in, and then I didn't get the vaccine. And the fourth tweet is like, they poor person passed away. They died, yeah. And then somebody on the political left is like, yes, you know, excellent. like excellent, celebrate. See what Sir, happens. Serves him right. Yeah, exactly. So watching right. Fox News and it's like, Jesus, <laughs> that's pretty harsh, you know, pretty harsh view of like, I don't know. It's, it's a very sad view of the world to wish ill upon people. Um, it's a nihilistic view, I think. Yeah, it's, you know, we're falling into nihilism in this tribal stuff. And I, I, one of the things the podcast, one of these podcasts, say is that it's supposedly it's overruling, not overturning. Oh, sorry, overruling. So lower court precedents can be overturned, overturned, but a Supreme Court decision that is changed is overruled. Interesting. So they say. I don't know if this is true or not. Well, this is. I'm where, not a lawyer. I'm a doctor. You know, again, as as someone who engages in Supreme Court pornography. Uh -huh. um, I would just have to the full watch all the videos guns. to find out yeah. more. Yeah. It's not, they're not really exciting videos to watch these courts. No, yeah. it's a lot of deliberating. <laughs> 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 um, so what, what's interesting about the Roe v. Wade thing, so, and this, this dovetails nicely into the Jonathan Haidt Coddling of the American Mind. So in that book, he also talks about how our institutions of academia have progressively skewed in an, a monolithic ideological direction, which is left. And this has happened since about the 60s. And so now it's very hard to find heterodox conservative thinkers, say, in academe. And I think this also affects the learners in those environments. So this is what happened at Stanford. The Ro Roe v. Wade over ruling happened mm. and- Oh yes, what happened at Stanford? Yeah, so Stanford's uh, Dean, Lloyd Minor, who I know, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> pretty standard boring Dean, right? Puts out a statement and it says something to the, actually it says exactly, cause I have it here. You know, first we wanna acknowledge that this is a controversial issue. Uh, and we know many in our community have strong opinions and are processing the news differently in this moment. We simply wish to express our care and concern for our community members, appreciating that people are feeling a range of emotions and have different needs. And then- um, Oh, uh, he's gonna get slammed for that. Oh, it, That's oh, not good enough. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and then he reaffirmed that we're obeying the law and continuing to do um, pregnancy terminations as before. But California, California has not course, changed. Right, yeah, California has not changed, yeah. He got- so Stanford students, <clears throat> medical students, legal faculty go to Twitter and just start eviscerating him. Like, say it after me, Lloyd. Abortion is healthcare. Abortion, it has no room to talk about controversy or people's feelings or any of that or their opinions on it. There's no room. You come out and you say, this is a medical procedure and that's it. Now- So what happened then? So what they did was in, within hours, they put out a follow-up statement that was more along those lines. Okay. So they backed down instantly in the face of the mob. But if you actually look at what he said, it is, unless you're reading it as some kind of dog whistle for anti-abortion supporters, it's pretty reasonable what I just read. <laughs> I don't think it's, in fact, it's emotionally intelligent. 
which you would never accuse it's a medical school dean of being. Um, <laughs> well, okay, uh, it's very interesting to me. Um, I guess, first of all, I'm not surprised. Yeah. If I was on his advisory not. team, I'd be like, hey, dude, you know, the first thing that we're going to happen when you put out that statement is, boom, it's going to blow up in your face, yeah, buddy. You, you should have known. <laughs> you should have known. Yeah, that's one you know, thing. Like, you, I was like, do you have a Twitter account? Let yep. me set you up. It's going to blow up in your face, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's easy. Okay, that's easy. That's a social media 101. 101 don't they right. have a PR consultant there? <laughs> that's one. Second point I want to make is, I don't know, you know, I mean, does, and it's not about this issue, but I guess the question in my mind is, what, uh, what, how, when do universities have to comment on national events? Ah. 20 years ago, you know, you could be, right. I went through my whole medical school. I didn't get emails about the war in Afghanistan right. or all the changes, even healthcare changes. I didn't get emails about, you know, uh, school shootings, school shootings yeah. and changes in this and like some cop shoot. You know, I didn't get emails about, look, and I'm not saying that like, you know, often I'm sympathetic to what the email says. I agree. Right. They shouldn't have been shooting all those people. That's a bad thing. And I don't want them to shoot anybody. Okay. I agree. That's bad. <laughs> but why is the dean of like, you know, the Cary Business School, like I am against the shooting in like, <laughs> Rando, you know, like why is yep. that a part of your yep. scope? And now I think everyone wants like, where, where is Lloyd Miner's, where he has to comment on it, um, you know? And then I guess I'd say that I'm sure like he probably is a pro-choice person. Of course, he's living in California. He's the dean of Stanford. Yep. I, I doubt he's, you know, I, I doubt he's on uh, the other side of the or issue. Or if he was, he would never let it be known. Of course, never. Or ever. maybe he'd write that kind of he'd dog write that whistle. Kind of thing kind of dog a little more, <laughs> a little more dog whistling. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I don't know. I mean. The other thing about the point whether or not people want to like, you know, and I am sympathetic to the view that abortion is healthcare. That's actually the side that yeah, I'm on. I am too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, there are other people in the country who don't see this issue the same way. Right. Are we really not going to allow the fact, like, as you were saying, he's just saying that other people may see it different. That other people do see I mean, I, we can't deny that they exist. They do. Why are we still talking about it? Because other people see it differently. In fact, <laughs> some of them voted in the Supreme Court. Yeah, yes. yes, of course. Yes. They're, that's, they're, yeah. And you have to either persuade them or that's out-politic right. them. That's right. And they have kicked your fucking ass in politics that you got to admit they have kicked their ass on politics they have stalled nomination and then i always see people saying like oh you know mcconnell should have pushed through merrick garland yeah well you know i this is another thing that i don't understand from there are rules and there are norms and i was like if you want to win you should say insofar as norms helps us win we're going to follow the norms but if we really want to win and of course every time you violate a norm the other side will violate the norms so you have to include that in your calculus yep, yep. but i was like this is politics man you can't be angry with them for playing dirty pol or whatever you think is dirty politics they're playing politics you play politics better what are you crying about it's, it's it, it okay Okay, you put your finger right on what just infuriates me about the left is they're ineffectual. They're ineffectual. They're ineffectual for if they really care about this topic, they would have done what it took to make it work. But instead, they 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 say the right actually does what it takes. They say, you know what, we're gonna fill the Supreme Court with people. We're gonna do and the Merrick Garland thing was a great example. Like, do you think like even Trump, would Trump have just rolled over if if the Senate had said, No, yeah, actually we're not gonna vote on this because you know. It's the end of your term, so we're not going to vote on this. Until, no, he would have blown no, his he, top. He would have lost his shit. He would have done something totally insane, and it probably would have worked. I think – I don't know the extract law, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he could have appointed him like on an interim basis to the court and actually get him there and vote or ah. pick somebody like Merrick, Merrick Garland. I'm sure he's a decent person, a good jurist. I'm not an expert, but pick somebody who is so um, – like there'd be such a public outcry if yeah. anyone would ever block this person's yeah. path. You know, yeah. Pick a person that they really couldn't say no yeah. and twist the screw on. Him a little bit, or right. you know, I don't know. 
look, I'm not. There are a million ways to do it. They did it. Yeah. They did it wrong. I mean, they just don't. I mean, I think you're right. They feel ineffectual. They're not willing. And then even now, like right now, one of the things they could do is they could pass a federal law. Yeah. um, And they don't have to bite the whole cookie. They can try to just take a piece and just say that no state can prohibit abortion within the first 12 weeks or 15 weeks. They can just take a piece of it. Right. And and, and even if they don't get the votes, even if they don't get those, you know, the last two senators, um, they will make everyone have to say what they believe Mm -hmm. and put that vote down on the record. You Mm -hmm. know, that will put some political pressure. But as you say, I just, I mean, repeatedly, I feel like it's just just weak. They're they're just weak. Uh, And and, and, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's the best description of it. it, We're so busy policing each other about calling somebody, you know, a menstruating person or did That's you right. say woman or yeah. you know oh, this is what we are so obsessed with making yeah. sure that our fellow liberal is saying the right word that we're losing the, all the all the issues are being lost but they're so more focused on well you know or is this person writing an article that's anti two-year-old mask you know like that's the, all their focus and they're missing the whole forest think about that yeah think about that they spend so much fucking time policing language <laughs> and whether you're in tribe or out tribe and spinning their wheels on social media that they lost Probably what is arguably the key culture war battle, yeah. which is over abortion, and they have the majority on their side. They have the majority, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they lost it, and and it's because they are because that kind of behavior is ineffectual. Yeah, and also it makes like a lot of normal people be like, I don't want to be a part of that group. That's right. That just constantly That's right. pick, you know picks themselves apart. Like, do you want to be part of a group that that would criticize a statement that says, "Hey, this is kind of controversial," like? But we're we're sensitive to that. But we're still going to do this because it's healthcare. Like, uh, how how in what world? That's a good point. Yeah, persuade the Lloyd, tied to the Lloyd Minor. The right. way look, Lloyd Minor is not your enemy. Lloyd <laughs> Minor is not the person who's voting the other way on the Supreme he's Court. He's on your side, he, uh, very likely. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what's politics, but yeah. he's. I'm, I'm surely Lloyd Minor is not a sleeper Scalia. Yeah, <laughs> okay? right. I'm sure Lloyd Minor is not that. But you know. They're so they're more concerned with what Lloyd Miner said. I mean, I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't first of all, I couldn't imagine even reading the fucking email they put out. If somebody emails me some email, yeah, delete. That I, delete, I don't even delete it. I just let it ignore and pile up in the basket because I have fucking real emails to do. So I couldn't even imagine reading it. Yeah. First of all, and if it's more than one sentence, I'm not going to read it. it. And if it's the whole school, I'm not going to read no it. No way. No way. Yeah. And if it's you know, I'm and then certainly not enough to care about it or to pen a reply. All this is. Don't people have jobs? What are you doing? You're losing the issue. You're spending your time writing some protest email about Lloyd Minor and what his email should have said. And and then ultimately he capitulates. But don't you have a job? Don't you have something you're passionate about? Some project you're working on? Yeah. You know, and <laughs> you know, I learned about it because it showed up in my newsfeed and SFGate did an article on it. Outrage over Lloyd Minor, dean of Stanford thing. And you I was should, like, oh. You know, somebody should look up newspaper stories about outrage. Oh yeah. Because I bet when we were growing up, none. I, none, none. No, I never had a story about people are outraged yeah. by comedian George Carlin. Outrage. You know, I mean, newspaper I, readers newspaper. Outraged, outraged by article by, on outraged by, and then everything that you know, half the news coverage is about what other stories said. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. that's yeah. not. It's not how it used to be. It used to be news coverage is about things that happen in the world. It's nuts. You know, and the truth is, listen, I actually have sensitivity to the moral reasoning of others, even if they disagree. Yes, you have to. And so someone who believes that a, a fetus is a life form and has a soul and is going to, you know, this and all that, you're saying, well, I want to go ahead and abort that. They're going to take that badly. So instead of shunning them as some kind of untouchable, wouldn't you want to have a dialogue? Wouldn't you want to understand? I mean, at a minimum to try to, you always have to understand people even with you disagree. Absolutely. And then, and then sometimes- um, you can write your own stuff in a way that upsets the people who disagree with you a little bit less. less yeah. And it's a little bit so strategic. So they're more likely to listen. Yeah. 
Anyway. Or they're more likely even to engage in dialogue. You know that I did a show with um, uh, an abortion provider, an I obstetrician. Saw, I yeah, actually. and yeah. what's what was so it it had a few points where she used some trigger words that upset some people in conservative circles. Like she said, pregnant people instead of pregnant women and things like that. So some of these triggers, right, that you can be mindful of and go, okay, that's gonna, but in general, she said, okay, oh, so see. here are the medical things, the, the ethical things that come around the actual practice of this as a health procedure. And I think I got a lot of messages from people that are very anti-abortion. And they said, this was really interesting because there was not a lot of moralizing. It was all like, okay, so how is it gonna affect women who have an ectopic? Yeah. How's it gonna affect women who have a um, rupture, premature rupture of membrane? And when do you know that this is now sepsis and it's life-threatening? And what will happen to the doctor if they make the wrong decision? Will they go to jail? Like these are the logistical, ethical, and medical aspects of uh, uh, the overruling of Roe v. Wade. And so now they're, they have a broader understanding of it. So now when they apply their morality, they can say, okay, so what about these things? How do we incorporate that in our understanding? That's well put. You know, one of the things that they say that irritated me is they're like, you know, why do nine unelected judges get to decide this? And I'm like, yeah, um, I know. I was like, I was like, yeah. I was like, well, you know, this this is the rules of America. Okay, yeah. it's no secret. No one's been secretly keeping the rules hidden yeah. from you. The yeah. rules are that politicians appoint judges, and judges have a lot of power. And there's also you can have legislatures do things, and there are different ways to do things. Now, this issue, because it has been settled in the courts since you know the 70s, since Roe, uh, it could have been settled, you know, in the early Obama administration by some federal act. You know, when they had yep. Ted Kennedy of the yep. 60th senator, they chose yep. not to do it. They could have. To, oh, done away with the filibuster and done it another point. There are different ways to do it. This is just one way it's being done. Now, if you want to, you say, why, why? Th that's the constitution. Those are the rules of the game. Figure out a way to win. I was like, and winning means persuade people insofar that's possible yep. or outvote them or outthink yep. them or outmaneuver them. Yep. Uh, and if you, and to me, the reason it's like so painful to watch is like, Yes, I do agree that when you have the majority of people who have a certain point of view, it is painful yeah. to watch that they cannot get that done being in, by being ineffectual. Um, you know, but 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 here's and here's a further analysis of this, which I'm going to get yelled at for by everyone. If you're in Mississippi, you have a state legislator that's leg, legislature that's elected that's yes. making the rules yes. that now the Supreme Court can't overturn. It's it's your own state's Correct. decision. Yes. Now, they are then a majority potentially oppressing a minority that feels differently. And how do you handle that in America? Well, we have these interesting checks and balances, but it means you mobilize, you persuade, you fight, you play the games, yes. you do what you need to do. Outvote them or think of a way to settle that issue in the courts there, right. subvert them, outvote them, outcompete them, run on a platform that actually brings enough centrist to you so you can actually throw that out. Throw the, yep. And then maybe... In a state like Mississippi, maybe you will not be able to get everything you want. You may not get at laws like Oregon and California, but maybe you'll get a 12 week or 15 right. week or something. Like that. That's right. You know, and 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 to say that you know something is not better than nothing—that's not the case. I mean, I yeah. think something is better than nothing. You know, in the sense of now, now this is an issue that is just not like it. It is not, and it cannot be ever decided. Or it will never. I mean, whether people like it or not, it will never be decided based on what the optimal society would do from a utilitarian standpoint, That's what's right. the optimal That's policy. Right. That's right. And you know, as a policy person, who you know views a lot of things through that lens. I mean, that's how I view the policies. Like, right. you know, what is the optimal good for the most people, that's and what right. policy achieves that. But unfortunately, this is an, or fortunately or unfortunately, it's an issue that evokes strong moral response in people. Right. It will never be settled in that way. So it'll be have to be settled in some compromise way or some way that has some checks and balances or some way that has some give and take. And through political processes, it's not going to be settled by. 
a doctor telling a horror story about something bad happening to a woman. That's right, that's right. It's not going to persuade the person who really sincerely believes that you're killing somebody things that's alive, right. right? That's exactly right. Because if you were gonna just do a pure utilitarian argument, you know, you could make all kinds of statements like, you know, crime has dropped because right. we aborted the, the, all the, the criminals. The Levitt, <laughs> the Levitt uh, uh, Donalds, what's his name, Donaldson? Uh, it's a, yeah, I remember. Donahue, Donahue Levitt, Donahue, yeah, Donahue yeah, Levitt yeah. paper. Yeah, you could do that or you could look at other ramifications. By the way, I've, somebody sent me this. I've been I've been asking for somebody for this, and nobody knows it. Has anyone looked to see? Obviously, the Donahue Levitt paper connected abortions in the past to a reduction in crime to approximately twenty years later. Right. Has anyone connected abortions in the past to changes in voting patterns? Like, in other words, what does it do to the electorate? Does it make people oh, more this Republican is a or conservative? Great yeah. question. So I don't know the answer to that. But you know, it it might have that effect in theory because we know that abortions disproportionately affect some groups so over lower others. socioeconomic status, yeah. et cetera. And, and they may be voting disproportionately for some parties. That's right. So just like uh, uh, the crime issue, I mean, maybe there's an answer. I'm just curious yeah. from an empirical standpoint. Well, again, if we had that perfect computer, we'd yes. know the answer, and then you could actually change policy and do all kinds of interesting things. But this is not going to be answered. This is one no. of those questions that, as you yep. say, Lloyd Miner says different people have different opinions right. on it, and now, but he's wrong to say that, of course. Now I'll defend the mob for a second. Okay. L like you said, Lloyd Miner is in a, a incredibly <clears throat> liberal yeah, enclave. Yeah. enclave, and so he should have known that his language was not, and, and honestly, I've fallen into this trap. Like I did a video on abortion a few years back and I, I still stand by it where I said, hey, did you, know, did you? Huh? I've never heard this. Did you? No, yeah. did you? <laughs> <laughs> you got some shit for it, huh? Oh, I got a lot of shit from, well, no, actually, no. it's interesting. You so, mostly got shit from people who already hated you. Yes. yes. Or who wanted a good reason to really hate me even more because they were pissed that I was a good communicator, whatever it is. No, they're pissed because you're a beautiful bald man. And they're <laughs> Thank you. Thank no. you for someone saying what I was always thinking. <laughs> well, and, I mean, but I do think that somebody has to point out that people who are pissed at you will always look at every little thing oh, you're doing. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah. That, yeah, that video was about the Alabama law where, again, it was like they were legislating what doctors do and with their patients. And I took a stand, said, "That's this is healthcare. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. But then I said, but I understand the moral... I understand their moral position of people who are concerned about abortion because I had my own experience in medical school witnessing second trimester, late second trimester abortions at a county hospital. And no, you was... didn't. You didn't have the experience. Okay. You, didn't have... <laughs> you didn't have any experience. No, it wasn't. It was Not the good. woman having the experience with her provider. Right. But I was the provider by proxy there in the room. And I couldn't even tell that story. I mean, because by telling that story, I was, I was putting abortion providers in danger is what I was told by abortion providers. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough- It's tough because I was sympathetic to all sides on this. I was like, yeah, I get it, I get it. I know you get death threats, it's terrible. I know this is a medical and procedure. And then the lawyer professor I'm talking about, Akhil Amar, he himself is liberal and he supports um, abortion being available and safe, but he actually has written repeatedly, and I think it was cited by Alito in the in the ultimate judgment, that it actually uh, should not be protected under the constitution, doesn't have a constitutional basis. Right, so, I so mean, from he, a pure legal standpoint, right. like, is it in the constitution to protect this right? Yes. That's the question. But then here's my counter question to him, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I, well, I'll never I'll probably never get to ask him, which is that like, um, I don't know, like the, some of these constitutional people, they're like, oh, like the right way to interpret the law is whatever the constitution says or whatever the people who wrote it or whatever all the amendments said and whatever the people who framed those amendments thought, like the reconstruction amendments, um, that's the right way to interpret it. But I was like, who says that's the right way to interpret it? it like, I mean, like, can I, can I just interpret it any way I want to interpret it? And uh, obviously I think that they think that's not the case, 
But I'm not really understand. I really don't understand why it's not the case. Like, it, can't, it, you just uh, all interpret it in whatever way we want. And like, and then like, obviously, if you interpret it willy nilly and erratically, it'll create an unstable society. Right. But that that suddenly is a utilitarian argument. Right. Um, and right. So as long as you interpret it rather consistently or change it slowly, can't you make it flexible? Is it living or not living? Or is it living or not? And that's yeah. a fundamental. I mean, you know, it's interesting because what you're seeing on the left now. I'm seeing this in. Uh, there was a BuzzFeed article like these twelve tweets eviscerate Supreme Court's decision on. Roe v. Wade, and each one of them was a virtue signaling, like you know, useless, uh, unhelpful thing. You know what really eviscerates decisions if you actually had five justices. Yeah, yeah. okay. Then yeah, you could if you actually you mobilized actually your vote, yes, if you actually votes. persuaded people instead yeah. of screeching into the void, and 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 you know, one of them was like. I don't know who these founding fathers are, but if I was there and back in time, I would have murdered all of them. Like that was one of the tweets. <laughs> really? It's like, okay, so that triggers in a lot of people a sanctity versus degradation response. Kind of like the way the January 6th uh, insurrectionists, and now that's a trigger word for the right, uh, no, storming right. into the Capitol and shitting on stuff. Like that triggered a sanctity versus degradation uh, moral palette in me. I was like, this is horrible. Like whoever's responsible disaster. for this should be impeached. Like that's how I felt at the time. I was like, <laughs> you know, this is- I hear there's some hearings about this later. Yeah, there's yeah. some hearings. I, I, it was just abhorrent to my morality, right? Uh, but, but, and I might've even done a show to that effect at the time, but uh, uh, it, it's 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 unhelpful. Like, cause that, that kind of statement just tells people who you're arguing with, you're trying to persuade that you don't value at all you don't even respect their values, which is, hey, this this place was founded by people that actually had our best interests in mind at the time, whatever, they were white men, whatever, but like, let's at least talk about it. You don't wanna go back in time and murder them. That seems a little strange. Even though you were being hyperbolic, you're actually not, because there's a part of you that feels that way. You know, one thing that I think, to your earlier point about um, this whole schadenfreude sort of syn syndrome, which is I think that there are a lot of people who hold their view on a lot of these issues from vaccine mandate to Roe v. Wade to many issues based on what they think is the best policy. Um, I think there some, for some of these issues, there's probably few because people have really thought through the policy. But I think there's some people who hold it based on the policy. And then another part is this whole tribalism thing. And then I think that um, there's the, the new flavor of tribalism is that owning flavor. Mm. So a lot of people take pleasure in watching their political people who they disagree with politically suffer and cry and complain about it. Yeah. And I think um, I felt that for like in some of the tweets and discourse around masking when they compelled someone to wear the mask and right. they really didn't want to. Or, you know, the liberal side was more like, you know, force that person in Home Depot carrying that duffel bag and wearing that trench coat to mask up or, or, or but yeah, like, I wouldn't go, I will just let them, let them have a wide berth and let yeah. them go, like, let them do their shopping for lumber. Uh, yeah. You know, okay. You know, but the liberals had that pleasure and, you know, and, and somebody like, th somebody thrown out because they didn't, you know, off a yeah, flight they, or something. Uh, yep. Yep. Because they didn't, oh yeah, that's right. They love to have the throw them off the flight. Oh, videos, that's the best. Right? Yeah. You see them, they're anti-maskers, just and kick them off. Eating a pretzel, and, yeah. you know, anti-masker. He's like, or, or the toddler wouldn't wear, you know. So that, that's one sick pleasure. And then I think I think on the other side, I think people take pleasure in watching people, um, you know, voice frustration with the overruling of Roe v. Wade. Oh, yeah. And I guess, I think it's very bad. I mean, that as a society, when, you, when your point of view, like you hold your point of view, whether you realize it or not, in part because – because you're taking pleasure in the suffering of the person you disagree with. Yeah, exactly right. Not that you really believe in it. That's, That's right. a really dangerous place to be. But I do think that if as long as we're in that place, the one thing we could do is don't show your pain when they have a bad decision. 
Yeah. I mean, I wonder if that's a tactic. Like, that's interesting. Or at least take it down a notch. You yeah. know, like, yes, it's wrong, it's frustrated, but like, don't show the full extent of how, uh, you know, it makes you feel like what the person throwing off the airplane and- Well, and that was another, that yeah. is exactly another one of Jonathan Haidt's great, un, three great untruths, which is trust your feelings. Oh, right. Right? So whatever your feelings are saying, that's what you got to express to the world. It's like, oh, I'm so pissed right now. These people are animals. I'm going to go back in time and murder the founding fathers, those assholes, for not putting abortion in the Constitution. If you really go back in time, that's the first thing you're going to do, murder I know, the founding fathers. I know. There's like Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. Hitler, Hitler gets wide. <laughs> I mean, there's so much. I mean, imagine, okay, so I mean, think of the different agendas of like the right and the left in time travel. Yeah, yeah. It'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> like the left would just, they'd be arguing with Extreme themselves over left. which disadvantaged group they were going to protect from, from genocide first. They'd be like, okay, we could go back to the Native Americans. But you know, even before that, the cavemen, they slaughtered the Neanderthals and that was the first genocide in history. We could stop that by punching a, a, a homo sapien in the face. I just go back and I, I, I and delete Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> get, that's get, that's get a high yield. That's get a, Zuckerberg. That is a high, yeah, get, get Zuckerberg early on. That's a high yield intervention. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> now you had a tweet that somebody had made that you wanted to tell me about. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, oh, see, good. See, this is why you should be holding the legal pet. Okay. Um, it is a Harvard faculty member. I think he's like a pediatrician does like adolescent medicine or something like that. And um, I think- Full disclosure, he's on the uh, precautions indefinite kind of side right. of the spectrum. COVID zero. COVID zero side of the yeah. spectrum. And so he's built a following of like tens of thousands of like-minded, you know, you can, you can, you know, that's the beauty of the internet. You can say whatever, whatever point of view you have, there's 10,000 people agree with you, you know? So he built his following. And then um, <laughs> for whatever reason, I think he had to do some solo parenting flight. And he's on like a flight with two, it looks like very young kids. And, um, and he was like, you know, wish me luck. I'm on this long flight. I hope I can make it in one piece, uh, you know. And then he tweets a photo of the young kid and him on the flight, a selfie, and he's not wearing a mask. <gasps> oh, and oh. they got him good. So then the first thing somebody did was like Delvin's past tweets. And then like, oh I don't know, God. 10 days before he has a tweet of like a positive home test. Oh. And they're like, look at you, you, oh. you terrible, you terrible person. You have a positive home test. You're going on a flight, oh. spreading it everywhere without a mask on. And then he was like, and then he has like a clarification thread, which is like that test was, I tweeted it on this day, but I was actually sick much before then. I had had 14 days of like negative tests or whatever. And then I had three days of no symptoms. I don't know, whatever, some long story about how he was definitely in the clear you know he had just had COVID recovered they're definitely in the clear and then he said i only took the mask off for um snacking and a selfie you know <laughs> and then when the poor baby was napping they took the mask off and then people and then and then there's more hate more hate more hate because again this is a covidian audience yeah and then finally the tweet was i just want to issue an apology and walk oh back God. and it was a poor oh decision God. i was like oh jesus God. christ this is the shaming of the own tribe the witch hunt mentality the throwing your own under the bus because this is one of theirs yeah meanwhile the supreme court was like just ripped up the epa in half <laughs> yeah exactly the supreme court just like, tears the EPA. Like, forget that like yeah. fuck this guy in his selfie who's yeah. on our team you that's know exactly team mask. that's exactly it yeah. that's what infuriates me you know it's like they are so politically ineffectual they have a they have a democratic president they have you know like the senate is that what they have i forget uh, yeah but one I or the mean, other they have the senate but i guess on the cusp and they yeah. have two people and they have two people because they can't convince their own to get yeah. in line. And in part, and I think the other thing they also forget is they're like, oh, we should have had a, like, a, a, like a good Democrat from West Virginia. I was like, go ahead and put any other Democrat in West Virginia and watch him lose. Yeah, I was like, you got lose. the only guy yeah. who can who could, squeak by. Who could win. Yeah. And of course he's going to be moderate because he's yeah. squeaking by. Exactly you know, right. You can't, what are you going to, it's not, we're not living in a fairy world. It's I mean, just, yeah, they're, they're okay. just, just yes. clueless. 
clue. Whereas on the right, if someone violates uh, tribal protocol, yeah, they'll get a little, ah, you know, guy, not sure about that. Whereas yeah. on the left, you will get ground under the wheels, turned into puree. They do have a lot of loyalty, even yeah. for like an insurrection. <laughs> yeah, even for an insurrection, right? Right. Look at that. Yeah. If that had happened to another party. I mean, maybe th- that's a point that like, it's like too much loyalty is a bad thing. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, okay. Yeah. But- yeah. I mean, and it's a big, it's a big value on the right loyalty. I mean, it's what makes it, what it's what makes a Texas small town feel so homey yeah. because there is this sense of community. Um, but it, man, it can bite you if, if you overdo it. I think, I mean, I don't know. The left just doesn't do it enough. Yeah. I mean, like there's something in between. Yeah. Like turning a blind eye for insurrection and, you know, scolding someone for like, you know, Lloyd Miner's like- (laughs) Yeah, a lot of Lloyd Miner's. Milk toast email. Yeah, exactly. Which by the way, again, the dean is compelled to write an email about every single thing under the sky. I mean- Is already crazy, but I guess it's healthcare. I mean, he's a healthcare dean, so, but- I guess, And this is, you know, if if you're of the opinion- But let me, let me push you on this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and and listeners can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I bet there are many deans in healthcare who um, would say, I think, what I would expect them to say, yeah. which is that you know I find this over overruling uh, un, unfortunate. Actually, they'd say overturning because they don't know the difference. So, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> now I know I, knowing I, I find it unfortunate, and it will lead to um, you know the loss of uh, women life in in these states, and uh, and also maybe uh, have other negative uh, health consequences. But uh, because we're in California, we're going to uh, you know I'll continue to offer the services. Um, I, I'm sure that that's what most of these letters say to some degree of whatever you know to the to the degree of uh, you know. Um, Whatever, how much how much spice you want to put on the letter, right? Uh, I, I can't imagine any single letter actually said anything interesting or useful. Not like, at all. Yeah, right. So like, every, so people are putting out statements, virtue signaling for their own tribe that right. they already know they believe, and they're yeah. not. And I don't think that any single letter told anyone anything. Yeah. Of, I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe somebody said like, oh, there's actually some four. Here's four numbers you could dial. But I suspect right. that as a policy intervention, you could randomize people to getting that letter or not, and there'd be no difference in any phone calls. Yeah. yeah. Like what? What we? Like what? It would actually have, doesn't serve a purpose. It's interesting because like, what would a medis- medical school dean in Mississippi write? You know, in that case, they'd probably write that milk toast letter because that would have flown in Mississippi. Yeah, right. You know, because that's the first, that's the most you could push when it in, in Mississippi. When yeah, in exactly. Rome. Right. Yeah. It's I really mean, yeah. So I guess, like, I think a couple, like, it's weird that we expect these letters on every topic. It's weird that anyone really reads what their dean is sending. <laughs> it really is weird. Because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Re- like, and when when you're in college, I don't read this shit, man. I got a lot of emails. Got stuff dude. to do. I got shit to do. Got stuff I don't to got do. Time to read these fucking emails. Right. It's weird that he didn't read the crowd. Right. That is surprising because yeah. you imagine they have advisors. Yeah, you'd imagine like a dude like him is like, yeah, you write that. Yeah, right. And get it to like the person who's like- I mean, maybe he did that and he gave it to the wrong person. Yeah, it's possible. Gave it to like a anti-abortion like, guy. This <laughs> <laughs> is like a JAMA story. This is like that tweet for that Howard Boschner. They got oh, him fired. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Oh, and my old boss is now the editor-in-chief of JAMA. Kristen's yeah. Bibbin, Bibbins Your Domingo. classmate. My classmate. Yeah. Yeah. She's a smart gal. You and her are two equally successful people. And not white. How <laughs> not about white. that? Yeah. Unusual. Not unusual. But not at UCSF. Yeah. Well, we had yeah. A, we had an extreme our class was so diverse for nineteen ninety. Oh, did I ever did yeah. I tell you about uh, I had an experience at, at UCSF where um I was wearing my mask and this is just to show you, this is profile I can have anyone. And I was with my fellow and um 
and and some and some woman walked up to me. Did I didn't tell you the story. No. Uh, some woman walks up to me, and I think she's a fellow. Um, and I won't say who it is. It doesn't matter who she is. Um, uh, a resident or fellow. And uh, she walks up to me, and she was like, "Oh my God, what are you doing here? It's so great to see you. What are you doing here?" And I was like, "What the fuck? Positive results? I was like, "What?" I was like. Who is this person? I was like, we don't know each other, you know? And then uh, and then it's like, why is a cardiologist here? You know, why are you doing No, sorry, she, she didn't say cardiologist. She's like, I gave my punchline away. Oh. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, like, why, why, you know, why, why, why are you here? What are you doing here? And I'm like so confused. And then my fellow was like, uh, and then he's like, Harsh, why are you here? You know, and I was like, Oh, I'm not, uh, I'm not, dude, you harsh. got, you got, got brown mixed up. Yeah, I got brown mixed up. Oh. And my fellow's like, Oh, no, no. And then this person was like, You know, like, Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. You know, what ethnicity was the person? Um, I actually, to be honest, I couldn't tell. It yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. but I think I'm sort of mixed ethnicity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because if that was a white person, they probably would have internalized all kinds of things. Oh my God, I got it wrong. I think this person was also broken up, like very bad. Oh, like, really? I could just feel in there. I could just feel in there. But body see, language. like, why? What? That shouldn't be. That just shouldn't be. In yeah, an ideal and then world. I was like, I was like, look, you know, and it's then, like people we mix people up all the time. And I'm like, as long as you don't confuse me for a cardiologist. And he's like, the harshest a cardiologist. I'm like, oh, there you go, of course, of course he's a cardiologist. No, I was like, well, you know, um, I don't know, you know, I was like, it just goes to show you, oh, this, yeah. So this person, I don't think was white. I don't know for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I think this person is mixed ethnicity and confused me for another yeah. Indian person. Yeah. And I didn't tell you because I was like, you know, it's not a big deal. I mean, yeah, we're wearing a mask. No, and, but you, you're not. It's not like you're somehow taking offense no it's just kind of funny it's just kind of funny. yeah you know yeah, I, I get I, I get confused with vin diesel all the time like you know a guy'll come up be like can i have an autograph you know i love too fast too furious there was three that's never happened once <laughs> <laughs> never once there were three indians in my fellowship class and one was really thin and one was a little bit on the pudgy side and then, uh, you know, the start of my fellowship, I, w I, w I was always confused for the, the thin one. The thin and at the, the end of the fellowship, they said, <laughs> <laughs> And that's when I was like, I better, I better cut back on <laughs> I need to start looking at carbs here. <laughs> and I was like, okay. okay. Well, you know, I don't know. It's like, yes. I would think while the Supreme Court is undoing everything, the liberals are all focused on who's getting confused for who mm -hmm. and, and what does it mean and what deep-seated emotion. And yep. it's like sometimes confusion is just confusion. It's just confusion. I'm sure I had, I'm sure this is like obviously the best looking Indian guy in the house. Exactly. Guy, obviously. And he was the, the highlight. And of course he was a cardiologist, not because all Indians are cardiologists, but because many all are. Indians are cardiologists. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For whatever reason, for whatever many reason. are. I and if you know. were a female Indian, you would have gotten confused for a nephrologist, which is, is also, that, is that, an, is that the seems female? to be a thing. Seems to be a thing, but maybe just where I was training. No, I think I know a few now. Yeah. Already, like, now you think training. about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But you, Indians in general, we've taken med. Like we have a lot of medicine. We have a big uh, hold of medicine. I mean, far. I think I don't far know. Out, outweighing our presence po in the as community. a population. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Why is that? Is that because the immigrant mentality is? Well, what is? I, I think. I think in part, yeah, probably immigrant mentality. Mm -hmm. Doctors, what high achieving people tend to do, right. or. Um, and and there's always been a culture in India that like it's considered one of the few acceptable professions. Right, 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 right. There's not many acceptable professions. There really aren't. It's doctor, engineer, or or a deadbeat. Yeah, you, you just. And I always see these like Indian lawyers. Oh, I'm like, but that wasn't often. That was, I don't think that was considered acceptable list. in my parents' not on generation. The list. My no. parents would have been like, "What is that? You just talk all day? You want to argue? <laughs> if you want oh, to I could argue, you don't know. <laughs> you get paid for that? <laughs> yeah, it's just perplexing. You do like to argue." <laughs> by the way, by the way, did I tell you about my new updated 80s 
cartoon for the current era of kind of awakening and wokeness. He slash him man and the master's ex of the universe. So <laughs> he makes it because he man, that's very gender normative. But he was ahead of his time to let you know. To let you pronouns. know that he's he, yeah. but he didn't put the him in. Yeah. And that's so you put the slash the him, and then masters of the universe implies that they're all men. And I think I don't think you're allowed to use the word master anymore. You can't use it. They don't so, call master bedrooms on house tours. They call it um uh, the suite of primary or, uh, oh primary bedrooms primary something different. Okay. Yeah. So and you can't call it the mistresses of the universe or master slash mistresses. No. So just add an X like they do with Latin X, and now it's gender indeterminate. So masters X of the universe. No, you can't say masters X. <laughs> Mas. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, why did the? I guess like you said, you said earlier on, you had that guest um, who was the Obi guy, yeah, and 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 she had those words that trigger. Like, why is this a place where, like, you could argue, why would a conservative be triggered by this change in language? Yeah, and I guess I have no. First of all, like, I have no problem with the change, like changing in language in general. Of course, we've language, done it over a year, over decades, language happens, yeah. change happens, mm -hmm. and I think that some of these changes may in fact actually happen. Right. Okay. And I think that the the reason why it's become an issue is that there's an organic way in which change happens. Yeah. And then there's a way in which change happens where um, there's this element of like shaming someone yes. for not. And, and you know, anyone who's worked at university knows there are many stories of a colleague. Yeah. And I know a story about somebody who is like not English as their first language right. and was in the classroom with these young people and said something that was like considered by them to be wrong, yeah. which, you know, like a slightly older person, like, I'm like, I'm also like, you know, 39 years, I'm not that old, yeah. but like an older person like me wasn't privy to the, I didn't get the memo that yeah. this was how we don't talk no more, you know? And then this, and then they just chewed out this person. English is not her first first language and she yeah. was in tears after class. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that just can't be how we make progress. No, no. Mm. You found it, like she was your ally. She is on your side. Yeah. She's not trying to make anyone's life harder. Absolutely. She does, English is not her first language. Yeah. She has mastered a second language, yeah. you know, and, and you still made her cry. What are you what doing? What are you doing? And, and the Supreme Court is winning. You know? They're winning like, and they're winning. Lost, and they've yeah. lost the whole plot. Yeah, you lost it's, the whole it's plot. absolutely yeah. true. You know, I remember I, I, I taught a Stanford class in the last few years and I might, might've told the story, I might not have, but a bunch of young students, medical students, and I was talking about this kind of emergent health 3.0. And I, someone had asked a question in the back, it was Q&A. And I, I, you know, they're way in the back and I pointed at them and I, and I said like, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. I forget what I said, but I had misgendered this person um, because they were transgender, but I couldn't, either I, I didn't see it or it just didn't click. And immediately they, so they said, I said, Thank, you know, yes, sir. And they said, not sir. And I said, oh, sorry, you know, ma'am or whatever it was. And then they continue to ask the question. Now there's two, and I, and I said, I'm really sorry. I don't see that well. And I'm also just a generally confused person mm -hmm. and everyone laughed and they laughed and we moved on. And afterwards they came up and they talked <laughs> to me and asked me a bunch of questions. And it was this wonderful collegial thing. Now that could have gone a totally different You're way. You're right. They didn't shame you. They did not shame me. And then they actually maybe persuaded you a little. Exactly. And in yeah. fact, I'll tell you, I felt a little shame. Yeah, right? of course. Because I, I was yeah. like, Oh, this person, I totally got their gender wrong. Like that's embarrassing on any level, but it's it's trickier nowadays because everybody has their own way of kind of saying, okay, this is who I am. And they express it differently than when we grew up. So for me, I was immediately like flushed with like, how am I gonna survive this? Because I was expecting like Twitter mob response, but instead I got normal human beings. Yes. And I was like, this is how, this is how you do it. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. And just like this person, I could have said, 
I am not this other. Uh, I- I'm not yeah. this Indian doctor. How you think dare I, you? How dare you confuse me? Right. And um and uh and uh and w- and worst of all for a cardiologist, <laughs> you know. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you confuse me? Instead, you used humor. You're like, well, at least it's, at least you didn't think I was a cardiologist. Uh, yeah, oh, he a- is a cardiologist. <laughs> I did say that. <laughs> like, oh, well, that's you know. The, that's the correct answer. You know, I mean, but also it's not her. F- I mean, it was an accident. Totally. I don't know. Maybe we do Again, look the same. In- but then later, of course, you know. My, the person I was with was like, let's pull up a photo. And, you know, and I was like, eh, that was a little so, bit. So my, my friend Peter Atia was on Joe Rogan's show and they were talking about this. And he's like, intention matters. Like if you had a mind reading device and you could tell like this person did not mean harm by whatever they said, how could you hold them accountable? You could, you could say, you know, well, some people will interpret what you're saying this way. So you, you just think about that. You know, as something that if you don't want to hurt people's feelings, you would say it this way, yeah. right? It, of course, I mean, intention of course matters. And I, and more to the point, which is like, why focus on these issues while the issues that you yeah, purportedly the, really care about are being, are being hemorrhaged? Steamrolled, yeah. Hemorrhaged. Steamrolled, yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, like, um, you know, and I this, I guess, you know, as a liberal, I mean, I guess, and why do I feel strongly? It's because, like, like, I actually do have some, I think, policies that, but, like, where do I think we get things wrong on the liberal side of things? Um, aside from the social policy, the economic policy, we've, like, we suck. We're, 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 we're supposed to be the party of, like, wealth tax and, like, fair tax. What have they done about that issue? What about <laughs> fixing drug reform? In fact, if anything, this administration is so cozy with Pfizer that they have lowered the bar so much. And, right. and I think that's also not what progressive, progressivism believes. It's like, yes, you can make profit in the system, but it's up to government to make sure you sell products that really do what we think they do. So that's why we'll demand better randomized studies. Right. I don't want Peter Mark and Albert Borla to be on the same team, the right. FDA reviewer and Borla. And I think that's another failure. And I don't know, they're letting all these issues, these social issues that supposedly that they care about, they let those go, but they love to, you know, police what this non-English speaking. And, yeah. You know, and, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was like, oh, you, man. It, it, and I wonder what it is. It's like, it's like you can't, when you, like, maybe in a way to like take back power in your life, like. Sense of control. Sense of control. Yeah. Like you've realized you've already failed on all these major things. So you like, I don't know. It's like the person who's like house is crumbling and they just keep like they keep, yeah, cleaning they the counter, Make a new fence. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, painting the fence, right. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it, you know, it could, it could well be that. You know, it's the same reason that I think people say on the right during COVID are quick to believe conspiracy theories because they see that they really don't have enough control or power over things like mask mandates, Oh, that's a good, mandates. it's a good analogy, and yeah. And so they turn to these things where they feel like, oh, I have control and they espouse them online and they're like, I know this and I'm, these are my people and we have this knowledge that you don't Some have. of these rural communities decimated by loss of jobs right. and no upward mobility and opioid right. epidemic and right. these kinds of things. And then it's so easy for somebody to you know come in and say, um, and you see the right politicians do it. The cause of your problems is the other, it's, the, the, brown, other. it's the brown person, that's right. it's the foreigner, it's that's the immigrant. Right. The immigrant, They're yeah. the cause of your problems and uh, vote for me. I'll make it better. Of course, they never do, right? You know, and uh, and uh, if anything, they make it worse, you know, yeah, right? Um, uh, and then, and it's also easy to see how se- those conspiracy theories can seduce such a person. Uh, but then to take pleasure in watching something bad happen to them, I think is like, you know. and that's that in group, out group tribalism. Yeah. But uh, you know, as Height says, we're ninety percent chimp and ten percent bee, and uh-huh. when we when we become that communal bee mind. Uh, if we're if we're in group out group selection and and that's when it becomes even uglier, yeah. Do the Cal Academy and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. So the thing. So you guys remember <laughs> this little kerfluffle with the California Academy of Sciences? How they they would um, on their website when I went to sign up to get my kids in there, we had a gift card and they would not uh, allow a twelve year old um, to enter who is not boosted. 
And this was during, you know, I don't know if it was Omicron or Delta. I forget. November or something. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it was pre last year. I don't even remember. Yeah, it was months months ago. Some stupid policy. And I basically berated them for that, and they pointed to their website saying, well, but they could also test same day. No, they pointed to like an asterisk on their website that's that right. linked to like a fourth page. And that's the right. footnote, footnote number 24 said that they could also test that day. That according, <laughs> th- yep, that according to my research with the Wayback Machine online did not appear until after my tweet. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Now they, they swear that that's, so I'm not going to argue all who's, right, all right. who's oh, sure, right or yeah, wrong. Okay. But it was a tiny, <laughs> if it was there, it was a tiny footnote and they made it prominent afterwards. I see, of course. So, so. And now, by the way, they, I don't know what their policy is because I don't look. But so I, I said, OK, I, uh, I felt bad for like arguing with a museum. There was a part of me that felt a little shameful for because these are science people and I'm a science person. And <clears throat> it's in group kind of rejection. Sure. So I felt all that emotionally. And then I went to this party with a friend who was disabled in, a, in an accident. He's a physician and uh, uses a segue because has multifocal weakness and cannot just walk around. Okay. Use a Segway as a kind of a mobility wheelchair, device. Mobility yeah. device. They would not let him into the museum Why? at the Cal because his Segway was considered, it was a danger that he would fall into one of the pools or something like the that. Pool? And he was like, so do you tell the same thing to people in wheelchairs? Yeah. Because that's also a wheel Isn't that mobility a violation of the American Disability Act? Yeah, well, ADA? Yeah. he wasn't allowed to enter with his Segway. And- they they were mad, but they never. I don't think they followed up. But he told me this story, and I'm like, I'm gonna tell this story. <laughs> this is fucking power hungry. Yeah, it's kind of like when I understand you can have your policies and things like that, but how is this actually an inclusive policy? And then it made so me then think, I think to be consistent, they should also exclude very tall people. That's right, because they might bump their head on. Or no, they're far more likely to tip over oh, into the tidal pool. That's true. Because if you are- Center of gravity. Right. If you are very, very tall, mm-hmm. the barrier is not any higher for you. You're only three feet. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, that's really something. And he's strange. there with his little kid and all that. And, it, and, and then even if you were to fall in the tidal pool, um, I've, I've only briefly been there in a long time ago. Because obviously there's obviously there's too much paperwork involved in this. <laughs> this fucking museum's got too much fucking too check. many paperwork. I mean, too much fucking website checking to go. But That's anyway, right. uh, but I I thought that like even if you were to fall, it's like falling into like a uh, like a like a kid tub. It's like a bathtub. It's not very deep. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't Is know. Is it very deep? I don't know because I haven't even been there. Could and- you? You can't plunge into. They basically said you're unsafe to come in here with your mobility device. Your Segway. Yeah, your Segway. And and the thing is, it's interesting. I don't think that's the real reason. I just don't think they like Segways. That's what it is. Yeah. So what what he told me was he's had this happen at at multiple places where they just, they, in fact, he said there was once a security guard who went for his gun, told him to stop because they thought he was like some kind of lunatic on a Segway. Go for his gun. Because you can't tell immediately that he has a disability that he's using the Segway for. I think he, you know, should get some sweet, sweet justice and file for American Disability Act against this. uh, I mean, who are they to decide what mobility devices are or not? Well, I made the parallel to like the booster thing. Like this also made no sense. Oh God, yeah, so th- stupid. Making my child test for COVID when they're going to wear a mask Morons. anyways during Omicron or whatever, it makes no sense. So uh, it's just when a science museum <clears throat> is affecting kind of the sense of what the public thinks is correct because they are a science museum. Yeah, but yeah. Let, me, let me push back there. Yeah, yeah. A lot of places call themselves science yeah, museums, that's true. Yeah. but they're not really having that's, much to do with science. That's true. They just have a, like, it's like a, a big aquarium. Right, right. <laughs> like what does a stuffed elk in a taxidermy display have to do with science? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd love, I mean, and t- listeners, I'd love to see a museum that was really committed to science 
where they talked about like uh, the need for experimentation and randomization <laughs> and confound, you know, like real scientific bedrock where, principles. Where, where does the Expl San Francisco Exploratorium fit on this? Have you been there? No. It's it's a where lot of Where is this explore? It's, Somebody, yeah, the it's near like, Fisherman's Wharf. It's a pure something. I see. And um, I took my kids there. It's all hands-on kind of science stuff. So like you make a little tornado and- It doesn't sound very educational. If, it's, if anything's hands-on yeah, and education. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 can't go, they can't go together. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Heaven okay. forbid we embody our learning of science yeah, by no, actually no, no, touching no, no. stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, so no, but fun? they were not talking about randomized control trials. It was all was it fun. Fun. Yeah, it was fun. And what was the vaccine policies? Don't know because I went pre-COVID. Oh. But I bet they were pretty draconian because it's San Francisco, <laughs> and it has the word science in it. <laughs> if they didn't, if they didn't have a strict policy like that, then they'd get that pushback email. Like Lloyd Minor. Oh, exactly. You have to risk it. Uh, say it after me. Boosters save lives. Yeah, <laughs> science museums enforcing booster policies increase population, herd immunity, despite the fact that vaccine escape is inevitable and ergo must save lives. <laughs> Just say it after me. Follow the science. science, science. Say it after me, Lloyd. And kiss this Fauci bobblehead doll. <laughs> kiss it. Kiss so it. how about poor Fauci, man? He gets COVID, gets packs of it, and gets, then gets it again. Gets it again. Well, obviously, you know, uh, he's privy to that randomized control trial called continuation versus uh, discontinuation of packs of it. That's right. That, that trial that he pulled out of his ass. Out of his ass. <laughs> his end of one. Uh... Yeah, his end of, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like what? There's two things. One, whatever he did, that's one issue. I don't know what he actually did. Right. But the second issue is. I don't know. Why would you go tell people to do something that has no data? Like, yeah. just shut the fuck up. I mean, just yeah. shut up if you're going to take packs of it. I don't know. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the, I mean, the obvious point is that there's no data to take a right. second course of packs right. of it. And if you do, and if and if making shit up is the current standard of the science in chief, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't. I know. mean, I, I want to say two things about him. One, I will always say, I do like him. Yeah. Like, I think he did a lot of good in his career. Yeah. The second thing I'd say is I don't think any single human being should be allowed to head an agency yeah. for 40 plus years. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. They shouldn't be allowed that kind of tenure. Right. And it speaks to being an egomaniac, a narcissist, a lunatic. Anyone who's over 80 who doesn't retire and holds leadership should retire. That's crazy. We have a society. Well, I mean, the president is almost 80, right? Yeah. Well, that's why I've always said like anyone who wants to be president shouldn't be allowed to be president. <laughs> Yeah, just because it's a self-selecting bias to be for some, lunacy. I mean, some age restriction. I mean, there's the 35 on the bottom. Yeah. It needs to be something on, the, on top. the top. I don't know. But anyway, this Fauci holding the thing. And then, I mean, you know, like right now he's still got a lot of the limelight, like the, a lot of the basking in the good stuff. But it's not going to age well. I mean, some yeah. of his decisions like lockdown, I think each passing year will be more and more bad for being pro lockdown and the school closure. And and there is like enough of a paper trail, like audio tapes of him repeatedly saying on news that DeSantis was making the wrong call, et cetera. Yeah. It's going to be used. To, I mean, his reputation is just going to dwindle as people really think about how he made it. It's and then, be, sorry, and then not running any studies. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, makes, you, makes you think of Alan Greenspan. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. He was like yeah, the, the king when he was in. King, yes. The master. Master's X. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I didn't see that financial crisis coming. Yep. Yeah. And now he's like, nobody talks about Greenspan as in anything but a pejorative. And he was way. like an Ayn Randian, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. was like an objectivist. Objectivist. Kind of type. Yeah. yeah. I still don't know what that means. I read Rand in uh, med school and actually weirdly was kind of drawn to this because I'll tell you, it's a dumb story. We, we enter UCSF. I'm coming from Berkeley. Berkeley radicalized me. It, I was a like as far left as you could get for Clovis, California. Oh yeah. I go to Berkeley and I see what the far left kind of wants, and I'm like, wow, you guys really actually want 
pure communism here, the very far left. Like this is insane. And so I moved more to the center, mm. but the center was the far right at UCSF. So I'm sitting there in class first day, Dean, um, Emily Osborne was our Dean and, and she left years ago and came actually to work for the organization I was working for, Palatine Medical Foundation. But um, she gave a speech where she's like, you're all here together. You're the, you know, you've been pulled to kind of do this thing and we're gonna work, we're gonna support each other. And it's just like the geese, you fly with the flock and everyone behind like gets the lift from our wings. And it's this, you know, kind of, this is a very rousing progressivist anthem. Mm, I didn't even know that that happens with the geese. Right? Me, neither did I. They're basically drafting off each other. Like, okay. There's a deadbeat, <laughs> bunch of deadbeat geese drafting off to the lead, lead, lead goose is how Anne Rand would have seen it. Oh, and yes, yes. So I was reading The Fountainhead or something. Yes. Uh, and- I, I was re- I re- finished yes. reading it, and so I was I was like, "Yo, man, that kind of feels right." It's all about like <clears throat> the the individual trying to make a dent in the universe, and this fly with the flock stuff is bullshit, man. And I was like, "Fuck this!" And I was like, "I'm not gonna do homeless clinic, and I'm not gonna do this, and I'm not gonna do that." And I was like, fully radicalized in the other direction. Wow! And I, I saw it, too. I noticed it. I'm like, "What happened to me?" Like I, I was actually reasonably moderate, and then it kind of unwound over just the minute you start doing medical care, you realize, oh my gosh, like so many people are born into circumstances that right, have nothing right. to do with. And that's the counter. Though. And right, that's the counter. Right. And then I'm back to the alt middle. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since I, I mean, I think I was like 16 when I read The Fountainhead and like 17 when I read uh, Atlas Shrugged. Um, and then I think I read like some of her essay books, but, um, and I remember thinking when I was a young person, like, I mean, I think, you know, whether people like it or not, th- those are like very engaging stories. They're very engaging She's stories. a good storyteller yeah. and, yeah. and weaving like a view of the world with a story is not so easy. So right. I think she deserves a lot of credit for that as a writer. Um, and I thought, I always thought there was two different distinct themes in her work. One was the idea of like, um, conformist versus like original. That's right. And like Howard Rourke was the original architect. And I think that other guy, Peter Keating was, was the, the copycat, the, the copycat yeah, making the, derivative. the shitty column derivative, That's even right. though he had new like technology, like steel and glass, he was still clinging to Corinthian columns yeah. and other, whatever archa- architectural bullshit that she thought, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that like that part of it, that theme resonates with a lot of people because I think when you're young, it does feel like a lot of people are conformist. And then you get older and realize that's true. There are a lot yeah, of groupthink conformists out there. So that's one theme. And I yeah. think I give her some credit. I think she might be onto something. It's certainly the world of aesthetics. I don't know. You know, maybe there's those sort of thing. The other theme was this theme of like selfishness versus um, selflessness. Communitarianism. Com- yeah. yeah. And then she always believed that selfishness was not a uh, vice as right. many religious teachings and morality teachings say it. It's a virtue. Um, and then I think the place where that kind of crumbled a little bit is in part the point you're making, which is that, I mean, whether, you know, people should be selfish or not. The reality is that like many of mo- many people, like the circumstances of their birth determine so much of their, their future. Right. So it's not really a sort of- It's almost a karmic uh, destiny. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other thing is that like just as a strict scientific standpoint, that organisms are actually, they don't often work in their own in personal selfish interest. That's right. They are work in the interest of their genes. That's right. And the, and the genes and organisms have differing interests at times. That's right. Um, and- and- yeah. And Hyde would add that there's also group selection. Yes, and there's happens. great, yeah. right. And and like, yeah, like that you have an incentive like to propagate your genes, even if that comes at personal, personal disadvantage cost. to you. Yeah, right. That's right. And that's a difference. But you know, she's a, she's a necessary step in like, I think people's mind 
opening process because you see these different sort of visions of the mm. part. They're all true, but partial. Yeah. That's what I like about it. You know, like Anne Rand had a certain thing that you were just like, yeah, that's true, but it's, but then you see the partiality of it. And then you see like, okay, well, let me see what would the opposite example be. And you read whatever, you know, uh, marks or whatever it is that or you're like, oh, there is a community component to humans. And then you see the downside of that just by looking at any, you know, socialist uh, program in actual action in a political system, it just yes. devolves into authoritarianism and garbage. So there's some tr there's some truth on all of this, and you're trying to find the integral perspective that kind of like okay yes and kind of component. But yeah, I remember that that my that tip for me was this first year of medical school, mm. and it was a weird time because I'm in the liberal bastion of the world, and I'm I'm indoctrinated in this more libertarian mindset. And what was funny is there was like maybe two other kids in my class that were kind of overtly like Randian, kind of unique, kind of. Uh, they were into that whole thing. And they, it was interesting, they came off as rather abrasive um, assholes. I, probably I did too, but I, I was never, I was never political. But um, yeah, it was interesting just to watch all that, how, how you, how you ultimately form your adult identity. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. How yeah. you ultimately form it. I still think that, you know, yeah, I mean, I think you're right that you all, everyone will eventually become middle because the sides will also slip on your, you know, on your watch. Yeah. Um, but I do think like, you know, I guess there's two parts to it. One is like the middle position on issues. Right. And one is like the tactic for how to accomplish the middle or how to accomplish the the goal. Right. And I think that the disagreement with the far left, especially is the tactics are so off-putting yeah. <laughs> and it's all like fighting their own and, you know. They're going to fail the strategy because the tactics are bad. Yeah. yeah. And then some of their policies may also be bad, especially yeah. in the fringe. But some policies are not terrible, but they are, you know, and I was, I saw somebody like, um, um, oh, somebody was talking, my friend, my friend called me to tell me this story. He was like, um, he was, he was talking to somebody and they're like, you know, I don't understand why people are so critical of zero COVID, mm. you know, zero COVID doesn't actually mean zero COVID. Mm. And then he was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, actually, I was like, what the fuck is, you know, it did mean z yes, <laughs> zero COVID actually meant like they were always celebrating China for right. having literally Eliminated. zero yeah. COVID. They yeah. didn't say a little COVID. And then, and then he was like, he was like, so one, he was like disagrees. And two, he was like, you know, what is it with liberals? If, if that's not your policy, then why are you calling it that? Right. You know, right. defund the police. I right. Like, yeah. It's that, pretty clear in the and, policy name. Yeah, well, <laughs> then they're like, well, of course it's not to total defund. I mean, nobody would want to do that. Then why are you calling it that? Why are you branding it as something more than what you want? It's Call a, it what it is. It's a signaling to the morality of that particular tribe. It feels good to say, defund these bullies and these racists. But not down to zero. But not down to zero because then there'd be chaos, which is what happened in San Francisco when you get that DA booted out of office and oh, the God, this school DA. board person booted out of office for doing very permissive I, things. But yeah. I also think, I, I mean, they, they should have, I don't know, they should have said it totally differently. Like if their goal was they wanted other social services programs to do some, take away some of the burden of being a cop. And my understanding is that cops spend a lot of time dealing with homelessness and all sort of like yeah. mental, social, health, mental issues, health. Yeah. Yes. That's a noble goal. Right. So then she should be like called fund fund this other stuff. Right. You know? Right. And then but I just think as a as a policy person and a progressive, like um, if you want reform in a department, it often takes money. It's like not like it's yeah. it it costs money to reform. Good policing will probably cost more. It will. You have to train people, you have train to train people, yeah. You know, they are they're forced to spend their own money on ammo to go to the shooting range. Is that true? In many in many jurisdictions they are. So it's like, well, 
what are you expecting? You know, Sam Harris has talked about this. You know, we undertrain police officers in firearms, yeah. and then when you know when they're put in very stressful situations, uh, things go wrong. You know, it's like, um, and I think the, the knock on them is that like in these like dubious encounters, they escalate to violence too quickly. Right, right. Um, and uh, uh, you know, it's a bit like the like the poorly trained surgeon in when things are going mildly wrong, they blow their top. Yeah. Or just start cutting things out. Just cutting, yeah, yeah. cutting like a no, crazy. it's really true. Or so clamping I, like a crazy person. Exa- exactly. Oh, somebody told me like uh, brain aneurysm that like uh, if it, if the aneurysm erupts in the brain when you're doing it, um, the the mistake people make is they they clamp right distal oh, to it. Yeah, yeah. But the first thing you should do is take a deep breath, exhale, let it bleed. Realize the patient will never bleed to death from a brain bleed. Okay, oh, it can transfuse, yeah. suck out all the blood, yeah. and then put two temporary clamps or whatever, and then do the final clamp. And the mistake you make is when you rush, you clamp, and then you actually precipitate a huge stroke. Oh, and, and so it's wow. all about like the first thing you do when it looks like the, sh- the fucking brain is bleeding in your field yeah, yeah, yeah. is deep breath, wait 30 seconds before you do anything because you're gonna make a mistake in your panic. See, that is actually a deep spiritual teaching. Mm. Yeah, because by being mindful of a situation instead of knee-jerk responding, because you will, you, your body will tell you do this. Like that's an unconscious drive, you just do this. You stop and you, you, you see what's really going on and then you override with some kind of thinking. That, that you've conditioned yourself or you've trained yourself to do. And, and, and except when you're driving, because then you just honk no, the then horn. You just honk. Kid, honk. <laughs> and just run them right go. off the road. <laughs> There's no point about being response able when you're driving. You just you just go crush you it. You just man. go. Yeah. <laughs> that actually, that's one thing about Ayn, Ayn Rand, just to kind of wrap it up. Yes. We should go get a beer or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's where we're going. Uh, don't look for us, people. Don't look for us. Well, this will be posted long after we've got Yeah, that's true. Gone. Like minutes after the way I do things. Sick uh, of getting recognized with you. I know, right? It happens no, to- y- You are always recognized. Are you, are you Z Dog MD? Do you know why? Because they're afraid they're going to mix you up with every other Indian. <laughs> I'm distinct because I have baldness. Yeah, yeah. Well, meanwhile, they come to me and say, "Could you read this EKG?" <laughs> <laughs> but the the Anne Rand uh, piece yes. about um, selfishness and ego and, yes. and you know, like one of her books ended with just the word ego. It was um, the one that Rush based a, a whole album half on this this big epic progressive rock song called 2112 was based on an Ayn Rand piece about a, a collectivist alien future world really yeah oh yeah we've taken care of everything the words you read the songs you sing the pictures that give pleasure to your eyes it was the priests of the temple of syrinx were the were the like <sighs> is the government that was running all these people and no one could use the pronoun i they all said we Hmm. And so the whole book was like this and it ends just with the word ego. So that, that's wonderful. But like a lot of spiritual teaching is like the ego is just an appearance. <laughs> wow. So in the end, it's kind of like, what are we doing here? You know, we're kind of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic if we're talking about ego. You jog my memory. I got to tell you one last thing before yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, somebody texted me to listen to like the Mal, the, and I also listened to it religiously usually, but I missed the last season. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History last season. Yeah, yeah. And he has an episode on iodinizing salt. Ah. Okay. And so he gets into the history, like how do we, how did we come to put iodine in table salt? And it goes back to the story from, um, and I'm going to end by saying like, I do think he's a clever, he's clever in his own way. 
Um, so he goes back to the history. Somebody discovered that there's a belt in America where they have a lot of goiters. Of course, iodine is scarce when you're inland from saltwater bodies. And so this belt in America has a lot of goiters. He goes there and he experiments and he realizes that people were treating goiter with high dose iodine. That was too much. He gave a little bit. He was able to do some experiment on kids and he gave them a little iodine and their thyroid shrunk. And, you know, he thought that that was the right thing. And then finally he goes to like the salt companies and says, you know, add iodine to your salt. Um, because you can fortify the salt and it'll be an easy way to give people a reliable source of iodine. And then, you know, they actually say yes. And that's why we have iodinized salt and like goiters have gone away and all this. And you don't have, and you've had a gain in IQ because they can have what they call. And, oh and, yeah, and, cre- uh, cre- cre- hypothyroid cretinism or something. Cre- yes, correct. Yeah, cre- yeah, cretinism. Yeah. Yes. And and whatever le- far left person who wants to say that's not <laughs> so, the right term. No, that's the medical term. Well, they call I don't know. Maybe they want to change it to right. something else. Right. I don't know. But listen, Let's not fight about that and lose focus <laughs> on what matters. Okay, anyway, that, that's what, okay. So abortion. Like, you're right, abortion, <laughs> right. taking away your rights. You know, right? okay, exactly. okay, so anyway, they want to call this up. This iodine, blah, blah, blah. But then he has an interesting pivot because this is where I think he's actually, he's a clever person. So he talks about all this iodine and he's like, how would people have responded to the COVID vaccine if it wasn't injected into your arm, but if it was something that they fortified salt with? Oh, wow. So like just for the sake of argument, let's say that whatever it is, this, you know, thing, Fortified salt with spike protein, fortified salt. Yeah. Right. Like something that you take. And then like, I don't know, you know, it's kind of an intriguing idea. It's an interesting idea. So I think like they didn't go ahead because you take the whole needle phobia thing out of it. You take this invasive aspect out of it. Nobody complained about iodinized salt. They do complain about fluoridated water, but it's a sub minority of a sub minority. Portland doesn't have it. Portland doesn't have it. As you can see. <laughs> I lived there for few. As you can see, look at these teeth. I almost aspirated on my own cavity uh, uh, a bolus of bacteria. Um, you don't get cavities if you don't go to the dentist. That's what I hear. That's you know what? It's overtreat. At some point, we got to do a show about dentistry. Well, I haven't. I've been scared to. Di- I mean, I've looked into a little bit, but obviously there are real dental issues. Yes, but there isn't. There's a night. There's a razor edge on this. And oh yeah. Some stuff that's yeah. Yeah. Done. I have a lot of dentists in my audience. They will get mad at me if I really start diving into it because, and Marty's passionate about this. He oh, yeah. thinks dentistry is like- He does 90- have wooden teeth though. He's an old yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marty's 100% denture and 5% angst. <laughs> That's why he was so concerned about the fish. And- <laughs> That's true. He's like, does this thing have bones well, in it? Yeah, because pick all my those out. wooden teeth, like it's, it, I get them confused with splinters. Um, Back to the Malcolm with it. Oh, so yeah, then, yeah. then um, you know, one part of the discussion was like, would you even have to call it a vaccine? And he was like, you could call it a supplement. It's an anti-COVID supplement. Right. And the person he was talking with that thought that was, an appro- was not appropriate. And then I thought, actually, you know, maybe it is appropriate because like, if it is in fact something that you can crystallize and apply to salt, right. um, you know, is it really even a vaccine? It is, an, it is something you ingest that will improve your outcomes of meeting COVID. How exactly it works in the body, you know, it, does, oh. it, does it really matter if it's a molecule that may diffuse into cells a la Whatever those things they think they think yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Is it gonna uh, uh, concentrate in my ovaries? And, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if it does that or if it elicits an antibody response or whatever. You know, who knows? It's a great uh, question because I mean, you look at a box of cereal; it's fortified with twelve vitamins and minerals, and those are artificial. Yes, and yet we, I mean, we feed our kids this stuff. Yes. So, so and, but I do think. Um, I mean, I want to say two things. One, um, you know, I'm sure that. I haven't, first of all, I haven't actually like done a huge deep dive into all these topics. So right. I'm curious. I guess I would say that my intuition would be that many of these fortifications are good. Right. 
I I suspect that maybe some fortifications are truly debatable or perhaps overkill. Right. And I think that the folic acid fortification, which is done for neural tube defects in babies, right. is not done in Europe. And so when there are these kind of differences, it might be interesting to explore. Yeah. Um, and maybe the truth is something in between, or maybe there's ways we could d- get better evidence. I'm sure that these were all sort of predate the you know standard evidence gathering. Right. But you know I don't doubt that many of these have been transformative. Um, and if you were able to do that for like a something that actually worked against COVID, would that be ethical and feasible? Right. It's interesting because because you could argue well that that intervention is not a naturally component naturally needed component for the human body like iodine or one of these vitamins that we mm, fortify. Okay, that's but now interesting. Fluoride is not a naturally. But, but I guess it is naturally needed if you live in a world with endemic COVID and oh, COVID is not going. It's not you know. Interesting. Well, that now see now there now we got to get and, like, and and also is it uh, uh, maybe it's not unnatural to have a big bulge in your neck? <laughs> that's true. And maybe and why do you need all those IQ points for cretinism is actually an adaptation to a world where being too smart just gives you anxiety, neurosis, and doesn't get you laid. You know, <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, I you're mean, right. you wonder. Like, look at the Mona Lisa. She had a big old goiter. A little right? iodine deficiency yeah, little gets iodine you laid. Is your statement? Gets, yeah, she was. Bit of... She was hot enough for Da Vinci to paint her back then. Like <laughs> she, that was considered. Did she standard. have a, gui- a little bit? Yeah, of goiter. she had a goiter. Like I remember learning about that. They're like, look at her neck; it's quite full. Like in those days, a lot of people had goiter. Blah blah blah. Interesting. I may be wrong. I may be re- misremembering. She obviously had. We get some. She suffered from Graves' disease. Oh right. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, she has. She yeah, exactly. We're gonna get like thirty emails from angry um, specialists. She actually had bilobar papillary thyroid cancer. My fa- my favorite feedback we get sometimes is from a specialist who takes umbrage with something we said about in their specialty, and they'll say. You know, it's really irresponsible of you with your platform to uh, platform. miss your, yeah, platform. You, your platform to misrepresent this topic on this subject and it's straight malpractice and this and that. When your father gave you a platform on his deathbed <laughs> and you took it, oh, this fucking platform. It's basically make, Citizen you make, Kane. You make your own show and you see who wants to watch it. It's not a platform. And Citizen Kane, that's what he said. He was like, Platform. <laughs> <laughs> and he drops the sled. They drop, exactly. <laughs> they drop the snow globe. <laughs> Platform. <laughs> Interesting. The, the feedback I always get is like, uh, could you have an annotated transcript? Oh, uh, that's my best. Yeah. I'm and, like, and where is, am I going to generate I, these transcripts? Like every now and again with our shows, if it's a video show, I will put a transcript on, but it costs a lot of money. Okay, let's come back. Yeah. So how do you actually do it? You have to send it to some company? I send it to a company called Rev. They charge like two, three bucks a minute. Then I got to go through and actually review because a lot of times they'll totally fuck it up and it'll make us look like idiots. And a lot of times then I do that because then I'll bake those subtitles in to a square version of the video to put on Facebook because that's how people consume on Facebook. Sound is off and they're reading along. Nice. Um, yes, that's what they, so that's why, say. I, and then for accessibility for people who are hard of hearing, it's helpful. But the auto transcripts are better and better now. They're better and better. Yeah. So. I mean, look, I guess like, yes, if I lived in a world where I had like, unlim- I don't know if people know this, but plenary session isn't exactly running on <laughs> it's not running on CNN plus kind of uh, the kind of wages, you know, plenary <laughs> session is uh, not really running on a budget. Um, so, you know, if you had uh, if you had like unlimited budget and, you know, unlimited time and a team and all that team send it off. And now your team is look, like I saw him with a broom here before we started here. <laughs> yeah, it's literally me and Risa, my assistant. And, uh, you know, we've had and to... she's working on the pizza oven. As yeah, totally. Yeah, she's on the, I'm like, she's, fire you, got it up. A, you got her in the pizza oven. Now. More BTUs. <laughs> BT- More BTUs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go get our- All right, creator. guys, yes. uh, you, you get to sign us out. Oh, okay. This is the part you always do best. Yes. Okay, so this has been uh, the, I think it's, a, is it 21st? Uh, I think it may be 22nd? even the 22nd because I think we were old enough to drink in the last one. Oh, I see. This yeah. is the 22nd episode of the VPZD show. Number one, if you haven't yet left a review, 
write something on there. I'm curious what you think. I occasionally scroll through it. He he reads them religiously. I saw he actually has a he has them all printed out. I have them printed out. <laughs> he has printed out. He put them on the wall. Uh, so leave a review. The next thing where you can find us, ZDogMD. You can find him on Locals, which is his de facto platform. Also on YouTube, Facebook, uh, the ZDogMD Show is also on iTunes. Me, you can find me in the Plenary Session podcast on the iTunes Store. Um, this show, Substack. That's where I'm spending all my time these days writing. Hilarious satire pieces. That's what, I, <laughs> that's what I'm doing these days. More to come on Substack. So those are the places. And uh, what else do I miss? I think you did. You did. I think he, did he not do a pretty good job? <laughs> he did a pretty good job. Yeah. What's it like in the, having the switched? Uh, how do you feel in that spot? Eh, better, worse, the same? I mean, it has better armrests yeah. on the chair. I got to be honest. I'm happier in this spot. You're happier there. I'm relaxed. I can sit back. There's um, there's just a vibe about it that I like. As you know, it feels more equal. I don't yes, feel like right. I'm having to like run anything. Yeah, Maybe I got a lot all. of buttons here. If I pushed them, I don't know what would happen. Well, we would delete the whole show and <laughs> it'd probably be <laughs> better for the public. <laughs> probably better for our reputation, yes, better for the, the public. public. Yeah, yeah, and better for us not ever getting uh, canceled on Twitter. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. But uh, all right, man. Thanks, brother. It's a pleasure. Let's go, get a, let's go get a drink. Okay. All right. <laughs>